It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and enter the mind of Rob Zombie. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast, and you've entered Rob Zombie Ween. It's time to get foxy foxy, hail Jesus Frankenstein, and jump into our Dracula as we begin tonight's feature. It's time to feed the gods in the Devil's Rejects. Zombie's going to get me copyright strikes <laughs> from the way that I do his movies, man. But uh, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast, and we're in week two of Zombie Ween. Well, now we're doing, what are we doing, Dave? We're doing the Devil's Rejects. Woo-hoo! About so, time. Yeah, well, <laughs> about time, only the second movie. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's about time in terms of us actually recording between when we recorded uh, House of a Thousand Corpses in this. It's definitely about time. I think I announced uh, that we were recording on the uh, the People Under the Stairs episode. <laughs> that was a good episode. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed recording that and actually watching that movie again. But we're not here to talk about the People Under the Stairs. We're here to talk about The Devil's Rejects and the second of Rob Zombie's uh, Firefly trilogy, I guess if you could call it that. Or what does he exactly call it? Like, what is his trilogy name? I don't know if there is a, something specific. I, I, to myself, I was actually saying Firefly Trilogy right when you said it. So that sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of works. And when we're talking about like Firefly, you know, I keep thinking about the, uh, besides the dog going in the crazy in the background and whining back there. Uh, but <laughs> I think about the old sci-fi show with Nathan oh. Fillon that only lasted for a year, but spawned a pretty, I, I enjoyed the movie Serenity uh, pretty much. Oh, yeah. That was great. But uh, yeah, so we're we're talking the Firefly fam once again, and uh, what was your experience with this movie? So, like I mentioned on the last episode that we did, I saw House of a Thousand Corpses opening weekend. I was prepared for it. When I found out they were launching a sequel, I was prepared for it, man. I saw this movie the weekend it came out two different times because... The first time you watch it, it literally just blows your mind. And then the second time you watch it, you try to pick up on everything you missed the first time. And I still feel like even though I've seen this movie 50 times, it just gets better and better as we go. Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting film. Like out of all the, at least within this trilogy or in just in Rob Zombie's movies in general, it's one of those ones where I think I could just keep watching it and watching it and watching it and watching it. Like, we talked a lot of it on the House of Thousand Corpse episode that I could rewatch that movie too, but it's, you know, I just feel like it has its place in time maybe that I can watch it. But when it comes to The Devil's Rejects, like just sitting down and watching it, and, and I don't even really need to pay attention to it to know exactly what's going on, to quote it when it's going to pop up when it needs to be quoted. And it's funny too, because, you know, we're not 
even though we're technically recording video while we're doing this, we're not really doing whenever these clips play, I think both you and I, at least through a thousand, thousand corpses, we basically are mouthing the lines as they're going through. Um, and it's, it's one of those films that I remember that I wasn't like, I remember seeing the trailer and being like, I, I do really want to see that. Like out of my friend group, I was the one that kind of liked house of a thousand corpses a lot more. But there was just something, and I think, again, it's because of the characters that I really enjoyed it, not necessarily because of the content. And I know that we're probably also going to go into the whole, like, you know, where did Dr. Satan go? And, you know, that there are deleted scenes of Dr. Satan that are out there that you can watch on YouTube right now. And funny enough, it stars Rosario Dawson, I think, in one of her very first roles that she's ever put to film. Um, It's weird, but they, they... he ended up dropping it, and as he said, it was just like their House of a Thousand Corpses characters in a, another movie. So yeah. it's not really connected, but it's kind of connected. It's weird. It is, man, but it, just like the theme that we started with on this episode, it sets such a on-the-run kind of Bonnie and Clyde tone. And like you said, the first movie has this place in time where House of a Thousand Corpses, it's a haunted house movie, right? It's its yeah. great. I, we do. We love it. You, I gave it like that five-star rating. But with Devil's Rejects, uh, two things stand out to me. One, I feel like it's pure definition of a sequel. Like you said, it's a movie that stands on its own. Um, but it is the – it's like prolonging the story of the characters. And I feel like everything is amplified. Like the violence is amplified. Yep. The dialogue is my biggest thing. Like I feel like this is such a well-written movie. Yeah, and and – I think that, you know, there there isn't the hindrance of certain zombie movies. I know that we, we'll probably argue in certain regards of that, you know, sometimes his dialogue gets to be a little bit too much, right? But I think that this film, it fits it. And, in, and I'm going to say this right away, too, when it comes to these clips. Uh, I had to do a lot to not include every single thing that I wanted to include in here because I would literally be putting the entire movie into it. And even then there are some times where it's like literally a scene ends and we're going to talk about the scene and it literally goes to the next scene because it's just every piece of dialogue has a place in this movie. And that's what I do enjoy. Now, maybe some people are going to, you know, think about the way that it's structured and maybe it's a little bit superfluous you know, but I really do feel that everything just fits. It it just really has its place and time. And even if it seems like it's too much, it really does help the movie as a whole. And I think that this is his most well-written movie. Um, and I know that next time we'll talk from Three from Hell, but I think these characters he connects with the most out of every character that he's done because he writes them all so well. He does. And I think that's important as to why, you know, Sid Haig, Bill Mosley and Sherry Moon Zombie, all three return from the original is as we'll get into the movie, some of the characters change, you know, some of the actors mm-hmm. play different parts, but you have to keep those three because they embody those characters. Right. And it's funny because that I, I read a little piece of trivia that, uh, or I, I don't know if you want to call it trivia, but a little insight in the movie that Bill Mosley was so into playing Otis that he was still acting like it around his family, even after he was done with the shooting and the set and everything. And he stayed the same way for, for weeks uh, afterwards. And that's really craft. And 
uh, not crap. If you thought I said crap, like that really leads to his craft. <laughs> macaroni and cheese. Craft. Yes, yes, like craft macaroni and cheese. Now in Cheetos flavor. Um, <laughs> not a sponsor should be a sponsor, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's really just kind of like you, you see how the and we we talked a little bit about it last time, and I know I'm kind of jumbling a little bit, but we said that you know. I, I kind of said like House of Thousand Corpses is kind of Spalding's movie and Sid Haig's like acting, he steals the show, you know? And I think I even said that here, I think that it's Bill Mosley and Otis, but I'm wondering if that continues after we've already seen it again, if we, if I still believe that, if you think that that's the case, whereas the third one is, is I still believe. And even after I'll watch it again, I still will believe that that one definitely is baby's movie in terms of character and character growth. Uh, outside even though they all of them have a big thing you know a big role in the movie i just feel like she was written a little better there than she is here and then she was in house of thousand corpses yeah i agree three from hell definitely a baby's movie i like what you bring up about you know saying that this is otis's movie but wondering it you know is it spaulding's movie is things going to change and it's such an interesting dynamic between those two characters because this is the movie that as we get into reveals the relationship of them, but it's almost like they're competing to be top dog in this movie. Almost like Mm -hmm. they know Sid Haig ruled house of a thousand. Who's going to rule this one. Exactly. And you know, they each get their own kind of time in the sun. Uh, You know, everybody gets their own little bit that they have to shine in this movie. And it's just going to be, who really outshines the rest, I guess. And not saying that the other two don't shine as bright. It's just, I guess maybe as I, as we think through it or as people are listening to everything, who do you think is the one that's going to be the most lasting of this film? And I think, you know, I still have my answer is, has it changed? Don't know, but we'll talk about it. Hopefully at the end, if I'm not, uh, too brain dead uh to to remember that fucking question at the end of everything because sometimes i know i'll say oh we'll talk about that later and i don't talk about shit so (laughs) please remind me if i forget we just got to try not to go as long this time as we did in house of doubt we we are trying to set that goal as we are we've got the timer rolling um so and then if i even pay attention to that timer let's go so why don't we then just jump right into everything and let's go ahead. And what I do like what they do with the, he does with the film is he does kind of like a little intro to the film to give you kind of an idea of one shaping everything, how it's going to be a little different from house of thousand corpses to, you know, uh, what this movie is kind of going to entail. On May 1978, Sheriff John Quincy Whitell, along with local authorities in Rucksville County, led a search-and-destroy mission on a decaying farmhouse. Inside the house, police discovered a collection of diaries and scrapbooks detailing the accounts of more than 75 murders. The family responsible for these brutal crimes was forever to be known as... So right away, you're just kind of thrown into it and it's going to be nothing but action that you're getting set up for. Yeah, it comes at you very much like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre intro. Yes, 
I, I totally agree with that. And I think that, you know, he's going for that 70s kind of maybe a little bit of grindhouse, but maybe a little bit of uh, exploitative type of film. It, it definitely feels grainy in terms mm-hmm. of the way that it looks. Um, if you would say House of Thousand Corpses might be like an early 70s, late 60s type of horror movie, haunted house movie, where this one is definitely a later, like about like maybe 77, maybe 76, somewhere around that time of that type of horror movie uh, in comparison. Well, yeah. And so we talked about one of our favorite scenes from House of a Thousand Corpses, whenever the deputy, uh, spoiler, if you didn't listen to House of a Thousand, this is a sequel, you should do that first. But where the deputy gets brought down to his knees and shot, the entire scene is filmed outside in broad daylight, much like, you know, House uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And mm-hmm. this movie, I feel like 90% of it is in broad daylight. Yeah, almost all of it is completely bright, cheery, you know, wouldn't necessarily say happy. There are some weird moments in the film that kind of bring it weirdly outside of this aesthetic, but uh, I, I definitely can agree with that. It's it's a very bright film for being a quote-unquote horror movie. So we see everybody kind of getting ready, getting all lined up. We get shots of all the guys, all, you know, all the Firefly clan. They're all nestled, safe in dreamland. You've got Otis all nestled up to his corpses, his naked corpses, sleeping like a baby. Sherry, or not Sherry, <laughs> baby. I was about to say, Sherry Moon zombies down there. She's she's all nice and sleeping. Mama's in her big bed, all sleeping and everything like that. And that's when, all of a sudden, they get rudely awakened by the second Sheriff Wydell. Dobson. It's time for us to do what the good Lord would refer to as a cleansing of the wicked. And what my brother George, God rest his soul, used to call a 100% Alabama ass kicking. So you think we're going to die here today? Dying's not an option. Now you stick that back in that gray matter of yours and you make that stick. Because any other thought's going to get you cold, slab, toe-tagged, and mailed home to your mama in a plastic bag. Are we Crystal? Crystal, sir. Gentlemen, let's do what God made us to do. This is Sheriff John Quincy Wydell, Corruptio County Sheriff's Department. It's completely surrounded. You have no chance of escape. Now would be the time to vacate the premises peacefully. There's a million fucking cops. Come on. So everything is super frantic here. And I forgot to mention that one of the first things we do see too is Tiny is dragging a body through the forest. That's like our intro intro after we get the little kind of, you know, 
describing what's going to be going on and that the cops are on their way to basically invade the farm. We see Tiny kind of in the rain. Now, I know that uh, the actor that played Tiny, Matthew McGregory, is that, I hope that's right. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking at Dave like saying, Dave, is that right? Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's I, McGrory. But... McGrory, okay. Uh, at least I got the Matthew right, right? <laughs> in the mix. Yeah, in the mix. So McGrory, but I, he had like hurt his back before yeah. they started doing that or ankle. And so yeah. he wasn't able to drag the body and it's actually a stunt double that's doing it in that scene. <laughs> they managed to find a, a like six foot seven or seven foot six stunt double. Yeah. Like, how lucky do you get? <laughs> that's a, that's like the most ridiculous thing ever. You know, somebody that is that big and that recognizable. You found a guy that looks like him or can imitate him. Maybe they found somebody that was like seven foot five or it was like Tom Cruise type of editing where the <laughs> angles were perfect. So that way it looks like he's seven foot, but really he's five foot three, you know, <laughs> he's dragging a naked body while wearing platform shoes. That's right. <laughs> you don't realize it's actually like boxes that he's uh, <laughs> jumping across while he's doing things. So it, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it's a very tense scene kind of how you're opening everything up as the movie starts, right? Because everybody just kind of comes in, the cops, they all get out of the car, and they're just kind of raring to go, and everybody just wakes up in a huge panic. Yeah, I I love the scene, man, because, it, like, again, it sets the pace for the film of saying that we're knee-deep in this already. We're coming off of the hills of House of a Thousand Corpses. We have Tiny outside, got a burlap sack, dragging the naked body, reveals himself. Instantly, you can tell he's a burn victim. Like, okay, who's this guy and what's his story? And he's the only one who's not in the house. So he sees the dozens of cops and sheriffs coming up here about to have an old-fashioned shootout. Yeah, and I think I even wrote down in my notes, like, this is, like, the perfect intro for this movie. The way that it's all done, that from the, the moment that they, you know, you get a, you, you see the fireflies like in their natural habitat. It's kind of funny to say it that way. But Studebaker? Yes. <laughs> no, with corpses. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, they're, they're just there. They're just like regular people just napping, doing whatever. And, and everything is just like peaceful and calm for them. They don't even realize what's coming up, even though there's a giant cavalcade of cars coming their way. And this is the seventies. So you would think that they would hear the rumbling of all those engines that are coming by. Like it would make something to wake somebody up, but they managed to get downstairs completely dressed in armor. Like, well, at least uh, the, the one brother is who I blank Rufus. on the name Rufus. There we go. He's all decked out like he's straight up like Iron Man, you know, uh, built his little suit in the desert and he's getting ready to fight. And then all Otis does is put on a mask. <laughs> you know, yeah. so does Mama Firefly. Mama Firefly looks like she puts on a just a, a wooden mask. And it's not Karen Black this time. You know, it's a, it's a different actress because Karen Black wanted more. Uh, right. Who's the actress that we have here, Dave? It's Leslie Easterbrook. And what is she famous for? Well, I would say two things. One, from the Police Academy series. And two, from being a guest at the end of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. There you go. <laughs> so she's the one that says freeze scumbag, right, in the Police Academy movies? Probably. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan. <laughs> see, right You're now, not Kyle the Audrey <laughs> from Back in Time is losing his shit right now. But uh, I didn't watch a lot of comedies growing up, man. So. Oh. Well, I think that that's who she was, if I'm not mistaken. Basically, the one that's like timid 
and everything. <laughs> and then she gets, when she gets in front of the, no, I'm sorry, that's the African-American woman. I'm, I'm thinking she's a sultry woman now. Uh, I, see, even I can't remember my fucking police academy. <laughs> well, she'll be forever remembered for, as being Mother Firefly and Devil's Rejects now. That's right. And honestly, she does a pretty good job taking over the role from Karen Black. It It's definitely different, but it's one of those cases where I feel it's like it's way overacted, but it's it fits. Like, it just works like it's a little bit too much over the top at times but she does it so well and she interacts with Wydell so well even in that attitude that I'm like okay cool I'm totally in no problem I can deal with this you know it's funny you say that because um Rob Zombie had said that she her performance in the movie as over the top as it was he agrees with you it was toned down from her audition because when she went in she actually auditioned for a different character And then when Karen Black didn't work out, he's like, boom, you'd be Mother Firefly. And he's like, even though her performance in this movie is over the top, you should have seen her before. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that she would have been way, way, way more. What? Who would she have been? Like, um, she actually auditioned uh, for Gloria, which we'll get into from uh, Banjo and Sullivan. I thought you meant from the song. Glory, Gloria. Glory hole? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Gloria hole? Oh, that's that's a whole nother thing in this movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, basically, you know, you have them in then in a giant shootout. And guns are just blazing. They're firing everywhere. Fireflies aren't getting hit. But cops are getting hit perfectly fine. And they must have some type of, like, anti-armor bullets because they're shooting them right in the chest and the cops are just fallen down even though they're wearing their bulletproof armor even though it's not up to today's standards but still you know they're still guns ablazing um to the point that they launched tear gas into the house and you know they're totally prepared for the tear gas too it's crazy how exact like extremely prepared the firefight family is for anything that could have happened to them Oh, well, they know the crimes that they're committing, that one day shit's going to go down. Uh, But one thing I love about this entire scene is how Rob Zombie's obsessed with the cinematography, and he made sure to not use the same camera angle twice. And so the whole thing is shot with, like, handhelds in so many different angles. And it's crazy. It's it's the precursor to the shaky cam that we're going to get in 31. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can see throughout this movie. There's a lot of scenes where there's a lot of running after people and like natural running after people uh, and not just on a track. Uh, as we'll talk about later with more Banjo and Sullivan uh, related stuff. <laughs> but uh, ultimately Rufus, he gets taken down after taking a shit ton of bullets to the like the chest, basically. Like the armor... It works, but it doesn't work well enough. It can only take so many shotgun shells. And that was the thing that bothered me, too, on the outside, is that Wydell, he was shooting at the house first with what seemed to be like a shotgun from long distance, and that ain't going to do anything. All it's going to do is spray bullets out really, really wide, all the shells, and not really hit anything, and there's no force. But when he's inside, he's using more of like a standard like rifle. Like, why didn't you wait to use the shotgun shell like until you got into the damn house? And instead, I'm going to use the rifle, which I get it could penetrate a little more. But you would think that a shotgun would do a lot more damage to somebody like Rufus. Well, you see, at the time period, right, 2004, 2005, when this movie came out, he wasn't completely caught up with the Call of Duty Duty and Halo games. Oh, okay. So he didn't, how effective the shotgun was up close. 
Yeah, but at this time, you had things like Counter-Strike, and everybody knows in Counter-Strike, you only get the shotgun to go up close to people. Come on, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough Doom. (laughs) Well, you know, Doom is just about killing random uh, demons any way that you possibly fucking can, so it doesn't matter what you use in that game. You can use a regular shotgun and shoot somebody two miles away, and everything works. (laughs) That that must have been his theory. He didn't have enough time hanging out with the rock. That's that's really the, the <laughs> thing that we're going for here. But so they do kill Rufus and then Mother Firefly, she's basically cornered, but uh both Otis and Baby get away and she tries to turn the gun on herself, Mama Firefly does, but there's no bullets in the chamber, and so she gets captured, but Baby and Otis they get away, and that's where you start the theme song for the movie. And this is really about like almost 10 minutes in that the theme of the movie, like what would be the opening credits of the movie actually start. And I really kind of commend Rob Zombie for doing that because it really gets you involved in the world. And like he kind of did with House of a Thousand Corpses, definitely more here. He tells a lot of the story and situations with the music. And that's why that I feel like he uses a specific song here as they escape. And it's, I think it's both interesting slash annoying slash cool slash weird the way that he does the opening credits. Like, I like that we get these little, like, freeze frame moments whenever somebody's name pops up. and But then you get, like, while everything else is going, you see them doing some more. But it's it's so quick that it's like two seconds, freeze, two seconds, freeze, two seconds, freeze, that it just... That part drives me annoying, but I like the stylish way that it's done. Hmm. Yeah, I can't agree that it, it doesn't annoy me, um, but I agree with the part of you saying it's stylish. I absolutely love it. I I love that he takes risks. You know, like you mentioned, that he told this entire 10-minute opening intro before, you know, throwing out the title and saying, okay, now hit the ground running. Here we go. I just like watching music videos and montages of the eighties. Like I love it when there's more music involved and kind of like silent film, right. And you have the acting in the background, but man, you get the classic like eighties horror movies, whenever they uh, do freeze frame and introduce the character at the end of the movie, but we're getting it at the beginning of the movie. The only thing that would ever bug me. And I let this go years ago because I realized that this is never going to change. I just wish it, it actually worked for Sherry moon zombie, but like, more often than not, the name did not coincide with the actor on screen. Yeah. You know, just like when you get like a DVD case and they'll have like the top build actor like first, but then they're on the right of the cover. Oh, I always hated that. Yeah, it, it definitely, it matches, I think, with Bill Mosley and it matches with Sherry Moon Zombie, but nobody else because we're only following Otis and Baby the entire time. So even, you know, when Sig Higg's name pops up, it's on another scene with Otis, you know, and and that's, I I can understand that that can be a little bit, you know, can be annoying. Uh, But I just, I felt that it was just kind of a, too much of a start and stop. Like, especially as they were getting the, you know, the, the steel in the car. Like I almost wish that that had a little more lengthy um, like motion to it. Right. Like I felt there were too many stops when they were, cause you have, Otis sneaking up on her with the knife and it's like I kind of want to see that finish out interesting you say that that was it was actually filmed that way originally it was a full like fluid scene 
and he chose to chop it up because he just didn't feel like it was delivering enough and he felt mm-hmm. like there was more of an impact with it just freeze framing on her facial expression and the music playing um so much so that apparently when that scene happened and otis stabs her in the back you know when they steal the car he was supposed to hit the blood pack and he missed and he actually just whatever prop they're using actually just jammed it right into her back so when her face is kind of like oh yeah it actually hurts (laughs) (laughs) well then it worked out for the best right yeah (laughs) she got hurt for her art (laughs) so then I think there was also like a swamp like escape scene that was mm-hmm. cut out of the movie too at this point, like it for was, them. It, you know that like, we see them escape through the swamp for about four seconds. Where originally it would have been I don't know, dare I say, a minute long or something. But they're like trudging through that swamp, and it goes like way up waist high and everything. And I mean, what are you going to get out of it besides Sherry Moon Zombie just trying to hold her pants up the whole time? Well, that's not too bad, to be honest with you. But you know, we get plenty of uh, you know low cut uh, ass shots in this movie from Sherry Moon Zombie once again. Uh, whenever you can, whenever he can, whenever the audience wants to see it. Um, and this is also too where they kind of would have explained a little bit of what happened with Doctor Satan, like that he was actually in the house. But I think Rob Zombie said that he just didn't feel like it connected the movie properly, and it just was disjointed. So it was like, uh, why, why even put it in there? Did you happen to watch that scene? I did. Yeah, it was amazing. I, that's the one I was talking about. You said it was on YouTube, which I should have figured, but I watched it on the DVDs, deleted scenes. Yeah, and it's it's great. Uh, Rosario Dawson, she's like she's flirting with the, one of the deputies, and then like they go down there, and I know I'm explaining the whole scene, but he she goes in, and Doctor Satan's on the bed. And then he just reaches up and grabs her neck and just rips the whole thing out. And she's she's in the movie for like 30 seconds, 40 seconds maybe. And she's dead on the floor. And then I think Dr. Satan's also dead at that point too. Yeah, but the practical effect was awesome. Oh, it was great. Like her getting her throat ripped out was wonderful. Like that sounds terrible to say, but it looked really good. <laughs> And, you know, to piggyback on that, there's an upcoming scene that we're going to get into in the background where it shows the cops kind of clearing out of the house and just searching around and everything. And the very first scene that we see for two seconds, we see an ambulance pull away that in the actual film, it was supposed to be Dr. Satan in the ambulance. Right. So why don't we go ahead and get into that scene? And that's where we're also going to get introduced to another one of our three main antiheroes, would you say? Villains? Maybe. Hey, Chief. Might want to check this out. What? I don't know. Jesus H. Christ. Motherfucker. What? You recognize the clown? Yeah, his name is Spaulding. Captain fucking Spaulding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give it. Give it. Do it. Yeah. 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 Ride the horse, baby. Ride it. Ride it. Yeah. 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 Give it. Give it up. Give it. Give it. Give it. Good ride tonight. Oh, oh. <laughs> next time you have to pay me. Ugh. 
call me a fucking whore? Calls him like I see you. Really? You think I'm a fucking whore? I don't think it. I know it. Oh. For this fucker. Hey, hey, hey. Come on now, baby. Who knows? I'm just messing with you. You know, as clowns, we like, to, we like to just fool around a bunch, you know? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Laugh. Clown. It's a it's a great intro scene for Spalding. And like cause you go from this like super serious, they're in the house and they found all these books and they've got all these things that categorize or or show every kill that they've done. They found all the bodies. You get these still images of all the bodies in there. And you've got the the news team talking about the whole thing and everything going on. And then all of a sudden, when he finds out that it's Spalding, what's the first scene that we get from him? He's fucking some woman. <laughs> the 70s and, porno music. <laughs> yeah. And, and I swear that you can see Sid Haig's balls in one of the shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. I forgot to ask him about that. <laughs> hey, hey, Sid. Were your balls visible in that scene from Devil's Rejects? It'll probably be like, probably. <laughs> but um, you know what's really funny? So it's a great dream sequence. It's a great inter- introduction to our character here. It, I think it's just another great follow-up to how he's introduced in House of a Thousand. Like, mm-hmm. he's a fun-loving character right away. But uh, the woman that he's having sex with in his dream sequence, she's credited as Fanny. Ooh. Her name is Fanny. Because and, you can uh, see that fanny, right? You can see up. that fanny. Yeah, she's not hiding anything. Did you notice? This is me. You know, while you were looking at Sid Hayes' balls, what I noticed was Fanny's <laughs> left leg was stretched out uh, horizontally the whole time. Oh, really? And uh, after some uh, research, I found out her leg was actually in a splint. And she didn't tell Rob <laughs> until she came in to film that day. And he's like, how the fuck are we going to work with this? But uh, they got tricky with the cameras, which is probably why we got the ball shot. And uh, they made it work. But uh, I just found it funny because... Uh, you know, she's known for Penthouse and she did a lot of like adult film stuff. So it's kind of funny, the porn music and everything. But uh, yeah, I, I guess and when you're, you know, you're injured at work, you still got to work, you know? I, I guess so. And, you know, called her a fucking whore for a reason, I guess. Uh, oh, you got the tapes. Hey, oh, oh yeah, probably. Uh, but I, I love the response because, you know, of course, he wakes up to this, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of disgusting large lady that's there. Uh, and he, she's like, did you have a nightmare, babe? He's like, oh, kind of, sort of. 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it actually, it's it's not so surprising, too, because in the first movie, he's talked about, you know, more cushion for the push. And then you see yep. his girlfriend, you're like, well, I guess that's what he is into. Yeah. he's yeah. But he has dreams of, like, I don't want to say normal people, but he has dreams of <laughs> porn stars. But he's with, you know, what he enjoys at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, in this scene, we see the inside of his house and how disgusting it is. And in the bathroom, you'll notice all the pornography pictures on the wall. So she's probably just from one of those pictures on the wall, you know, manifested <laughs> in his brain. Well, and you have everything like looking like, you know, it's kind of like a trailer-ish type of place. Uh, like not more manufactured home than trailer. But it seems still e- even to be nicer, like in general, like there's that giant mural that's in the back of like the clown. That, mm-hmm. that's there and then when they go to the real world i don't think the mural exists anymore or it's it looks like it's crap like everything just gets a 30 percent downgrade everything's just you know he's living in squalor with his big lover 
I don't know what else to say. Down on this. Oh, probably. I don't know what else to say. Hey, you know, as a fat guy, I can talk about fat people. <laughs> and I can well, call hey. them big because you know, I'm a big lover too. Uh. He's a big girl, but uh, it's perfect, but, man. It really just it shows the dream sequence reality. Like he's got his paint on his face, you know, in his dream. And then now here he is and he's, you know, waking up and he's in his sluggish trailer, drinking coffee with his big girlfriend, right? Air quotes. And you just see how disgusting that, you know, in the kitchen, there's like dolls on top of the refrigerator and everything. And it's really funny because they actually found that little house on the side of the road. It was abandoned. And And all that cool stuff was in there except the mural. Yeah. Well, I think that they even said that everything that they filmed with was basically within the same general area. So every spot that they filmed at was really close by to the next yeah, he, spot. They said that they moved production only three times. And that was mostly because they had to do like the sheriff station. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you're definitely right about that. There's a lot. And that's why I love how the photography is in this, because had they had screwed up, you would have seen the other sets. <laughs> yeah. You would have, they would have been so close that hey, is that the motel over there? Right. <laughs> Why did it take him five hours to get over to the motel? But but it's literally just next door. Was he using <laughs> Google or Waze or <laughs> Apple Maps? Well, back then it was probably MapQuest. <laughs> oh, dude, a <laughs> well, map scope. I would say you know maybe even back then he was probably just you know with a regular fold out map. He's just trying to unfold it as he's getting everywhere, and the paper's just going like crazy. And- I can't Dude, get I've it actually up. seen that. I've Wait. seen somebody driving with a huge map in front of the steering wheel. It was terrifying. My dad did that when we were driving to Florida <laughs> at one point. And my mom looked at him for a second. She said, what the hell are you doing? I don't know where we should give me the map. I can read a fucking map. Yes. Safety first, kids. That's right. Safety first. And then you can crash the car um, and <laughs> end up with a big woman uh, afterwards. <laughs> but so he gets up. And, you know, we have to see his tidy whities as well as he gets there. And she's grabbing on him, trying to pull. So I'm like, oh, maybe I am going to see some Sid Heg balls after all. But he ends up going into the bathroom, getting ready. And then they pour some coffee so that he can watch uh, the commercial that he's so proud that he paid for. But then, of course, the news breaks in. Ah! Ha-ha! There it is! Oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah. You look so well, sexy. Howdy, Spawn again. Yes, I'm here to tell you about a brand new attraction. Mary. This here little honey is half real human, and half one. monkey. I brought all the way from the wilds of Borneo. <laughs> y'all come in. Make sure you bring little Johnny and Susie with you. She'll scare the holy guacamole out of <laughs> And remember, while you're down here, pick up your Captain Spaulding yeah. for President. Yes, Taylor. yes, yes. All shapes. Now, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? I paid good money for this goddamn commercial. Sheriff, Sheriff, news update. What is the situation here now? Situation? Yes, what is the situation? Now what? God damn it. Please. Yeah, what? Daddy. You gotta get out of there. What? The pigs hit us this morning real bad. You gotta get out of there. Shut the fuck up. They're gonna be coming for you, too. Alright, alright. Just calm down, baby. Calm down now. Uh, I'll meet you at the Kiki Palms Motel just like we always planned. Yeah, okay. And I'll be there as soon as I possibly can, alright? Alright, just go now. Where are we going? We're going nowhere, bitch. Oh, fuck me. Get out of my 
listening to this, I got a message for you. I'm coming to get you. You can't run forever. You're gonna have to stop somewhere sometime, and when you do, I'm gonna be there to put the wrath of the Lord up your ass. Poopy? Is she saying poopy or boopy? I think she's saying boopy. It sounds like she's saying poopy. Uh, either way, he doesn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> but it's it's kind of a crazy scene because you like the, it's again it's that fun loving Captain Spaulding that you got there right in the beginning. You know he's going with the whole porno thing, and then all of a sudden again it's like he switches when he switches in House of a Thousand Corpses mm-hmm. when he's talking to the first Wydell, right? But this is permanent. Like this is truly what it is because. We need to get going and not need to meet up with the kids. Now, in House of Thousand Corpses, I don't think that they were ever established that he was the father. Like, there was a total different father of Baby, right? Which was the guy that was the henchman to Dr. Satan. Grandpa. Uh, was it? Was it? Well, it's, it's so convoluted because you have the grandpa character... And then you have, right. yeah, the henchman who we just talked about in the last episode, but it's been such a while since we recorded it. I'll yes. remember later. But uh, <laughs> big, tall goggles, slug out of the mouth, motherfucker. <laughs> but man, yeah, it's it's crazy because I remember watching this, and when she says "daddy," I was instantly like, "Whoa!" Oh yeah. Okay, I guess now we understand why he hangs around these people, like they're kin. And, and so is the thing is, is that and they get a little bit into it not but not so much we don't know how he's related to otis right we assume that he's his father too but i i still don't know if that actually is the case i mean they both wake up in their tidy whities i'm just saying yeah and they both wake up with uh you know disgusting bodies yeah especially sid yeah <laughs> I love Sid though, man. Like oh, dude, his performance, everybody's performance in this movie is pretty top notch. Even uh, the, the guy that plays Wydell, uh, oh, who, yeah. who is uh, William Forsythe. And but the only thing I don't care much about William Forsythe, the way that he does his role in this movie, is he talks like this the entire time. He's like almost like he's like whisper shouting the entire time that he's doing his role. And he raises his voice and he gets clear. A lot of times it feels like he's really kind of like mumbling through the role. Hmm. I, but it's yeah. still good. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I love his performance in this. And I think his character is one that I've grown to love more and more with each watch. Because a couple things that Rob was doing was, it's funny that he tries to make Sid Haig so terrible and everybody still loves Sid Haig. Just like the way you and I are gushing about it. It's like mm-hmm. he... Sid Haig just disrespects this woman, does all these things here. Later, he does these things, and we still laugh and love everything he does. Get out of the way, bitch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he throws it. <laughs> Where are we going? You ain't fucking going nowhere, bitch. <laughs> you know, Puts his hand on her face. Get, leave me alone. <laughs> like He just turns on like the nastiness like right away, and, and just all of a sudden, you know, but we still enjoy it. I, I think it's, it, it's a testament to the actor that we we enjoy them so much and it's the same with i think every one of the characters in this film and and we actually kind of and it's weird i don't know if it was necessarily meant to be this way but we kind of did that with house of thousand corpses you kind of connect a little more to the villains of the film than you do what are the quote-unquote hero uh, of the movie is 
because, you know, Wydell is not much of a, I mean, I think that he's a likable guy in terms of the way that the character is, but I, I don't, it's the way it's acted, I should say, but not necessarily the character himself. I, I, how do you connect to somebody like him? Well, and that's, I think that's the whole point of the movie is it, it turns it on its head, right? It has us siding with the bad guys to the point where things escalate. We start to feel bad for them. And it's crazy to even think that that is possible, especially knowing what we know from the previous film. And the fact that they raided a house and there's all these bodies and body parts. And, and it, this is supposedly only takes place seven months after House of Thousand Corpses takes place. So they've killed a ton of people. But yet here we are, we're kind of rooting for them to get away in the end, you know, jumping ahead of us ourselves here. That's but, just something they can entertain us throughout. That's true. But so the, the big thing that happens next is that we get introduced to Charlie, right? And as much as I wanted to put the whole scene in here, I, this is one of the few ones where I had to kind of cut it down because otherwise it's six minutes of just kind of random dialogue. Get in. He's using the dialogue to introduce the character for you to become familiar with the character like that in that first five minutes that you meet him. Okay. I know the way that this character is going to be just based upon the interaction between him and his prostitute, you know, girlfriend, I guess if she's the number one for him, not the, not the most flexible. We'll, we'll meet her later on in the movie, <laughs> but, but that's like his number one bitch right there, you know, as, as pimps and hoes go. And then of course, you know, his friend Leroy over there, uh, is you know played none other than Michael Berryman. Yes, I, I keep forgetting his name. So if I call to you like that, that'll be you. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you pause and look at me, I'll know insert dialogue, Dave. But uh, well, because it's Berryman. it's easy when, it, when we get to Diamond Dallas Page and Danny Trejo, I can say those names. <laughs> okay, you can have those too. But uh, yeah, for people who followed me for a while, you know, we had Michael Berryman over on Black Cat Shadow Podcast, and yeah. he is just the nicest guy. How many people from this movie would you say that you may have had on that show? Or on, on either Dave's I mean, Pop Culture Podcast or Black Cat Shadow? Now, you said would have had? Like, if I had never stopped, I would have tracked everybody down until I got Rob Zombie himself. But uh, anybody that was obtainable, I will tell you a little fun trivia that nobody knows. There is one person in particular that I desperately tried to get who just so happens to be in this movie and I did not get him because I was shut down with a thousand dollar request from the manager. Ryan Hossein? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't have you say the name of that person unless you feel comfortable doing it. But no, but he plays Charlie. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so and and he was originally from uh, Dawn of the Dead as well yes. as you may remember him from um and you know charlie is a good character i i still think that he's it's well done i think that like i said the scene introduces everybody uh you know uh, and i think it's it's levon is that the character that is the the, the like the the help yeah um okay i think i said yeah. leroy earlier for some you reason did. and That's i think it, yeah you just let it go just yeah, like well, hey brian he stop being goes, stupid no well, it's funny because it's cleavon <laughs> His, his name's Cleavon, but it Cleavon? throughout the movie, it sounds like he has another name as well. And so I don't know if they do that by accident or if it's Cleavon, but then he goes by another name as a nickname. But it's Cleavon as far as what he's credited as. Oh, it, it definitely is. Cleavon, my brother. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah. Different one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it sounds like he says Levon at one point when he goes into like one of the scenes that even though I probably should have cut, I, I have to play the scene uh, oh, because he gets, such, he gets such a spotlight in that scene that I have to have that scene there. Because um, <laughs> it's hilarious too. But it's a non sequitur. Uh, but yeah, so he the way that he interacts with Charlie interacts with everybody it like I said really does set up the character to the point that you know Spalding he's got to go ahead and, and call because he's going to let them know that hey I'm coming down Wong's Hong Kong Garden is Mr. Wong speaking cut the shit Charlie it's me Cutter I got a serious meltdown going on down here and I need a place to cool out so I'm coming down Fuck, man, I don't think it's such a great idea you coming around here. I am coming down now. Whoa, whoa, hold it, hold it, hold it. Fuck. So he's definitely like, there's this weird relationship between the two of them that we kind of get to know, right? Like he calls him brother later on in the movie. Not to get way ahead of ourselves again. It's so hard with this movie to get ahead of yourself because there's so much shit I just want to jump into and fucking mm-hmm. talk about, but I'm trying to keep everything in order. Well, see, those <laughs> are called general chats about the movie. We could do that sometime. <laughs> we we could, but this is the way this podcast... We'll do that on a podcast from another world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but nonetheless, like, it, it's just... It, it's absolutely crazy that he's going in and he's just like, look, I'm coming down. And you don't... Even though it ends up being like a friendly relationship between the two of them sort of it, it's just kind of weird here where he's like this is the only place i know to go and i'm coming down and like where is down like how far away from everything is this like is this another state that he's going to or is this like two counties over right you know? yeah well the cool thing is uh we already mentioned it's ken for plays uh charlie but uh, you mentioned loving him from things like, you know, Dawn of the Dead. And the guy is, he's a horror icon at this point, uh, which is why he's in the Rob Zombie movies. He's in a couple of them, but I love seeing him because uh, he was actually in Leatherface, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Yep. But yeah, I'm with you. I love the relationship between these two because it's been a while since I watched the trailer for this movie. So I don't know if they advertise that Ken for in it, but you can't help but smile when you see him and see that he's going to have some kind of dynamic with Sid Hay. Yeah. I think that he has one little thing like they show, I think from this scene, they show an image of him and because they also show, uh, you know, the other characters that are in the scene as well, just really, really quickly. It's not like it's a, a long shot. I think everybody that is a character gets at least a second in the trailer. You know, got to put the butts in the seats, Brian. That's right. And that's why we get to now get introduced to Brian Posehn and crew uh, with Banjo and Sullivan for a moment. We see that, you know, uh, baby and Otis, they're pulling upon the the motel that they're supposed to get to with, you know, where uh, Spalding is going to meet them. I don't know. Should we call him Cutter or should we just leave it as Spalding? Spalding. Yeah. Spalding is probably the better way to go. So, He's supposed to meet him there. They're like, baby's freaking out. Where is he? Why hasn't he come here yet? You know, he's only down the street, of course, <laughs> from where they actually are. Um, but we get to introduce to the group Banjo and Sullivan. And this is the first time that, you know, Rob created a fake group that he actually, they made a bunch of music as well uh, that they used a little bit. They didn't really use much in the movie. I think it's on the soundtrack, but it's not really anything that's used in the movie itself. And please... Let me know if I'm wrong about that, but I don't remember it being used in the movie at all. 
Yeah, from what I was able to dig up, um, I think he used um, tracks that were already out there. So in the movie, anyway. Yeah, because and I remember that this was like a big thing for him at the time that he had created these guys and they made a whole backstory for them. And this is the end of like the searching for them. Like it was something to kind of lead you into going to see the Devil's Rejects. Like there was a whole. I remember following it on the internets back in the day in 2000, you know, I think in 2004 when they were talking about it and I was getting kind of excited after the first trailer came out. I'm like, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the other band that he created was Captain Clegg and the Midnight Creatures um, that is in Halloween 2 that uh, I actually saw when they went on tour with Rob Zombie, uh, which was really cool. But oh, I'm jealous. Like it was them and the I think the Necromantics were the the other band. So you had them that was kind of like, you know, horror pop and then horror Billy and then you know horror rock. I guess if you could call uh, Some Rob, no Zombie name, Rob Zombie that yeah, guy. no name yeah. Rob Zombie guy that I almost called him Marilyn Manson for a second, and I don't know why. Hey, uh, they're BFFs, <laughs> so there you go. Are they? Because they seem to fight a lot. No man, they did the uh, Twins of Evil tour, dude, and uh, he called him his bff on stage and it could have been bs but uh i'll tell you there's not there's nothing like watching rob zombie uh perform live and then he says i'm gonna bring on my bff and you're thinking well i guess i gotta go on stage but then you realize it's not you and then marilyn manson comes out and together they do beautiful people i was like that's awesome well you mean you're trying to call it a bs bff i could be but um <laughs> i don't want to call him out like that i just it should have been me that's all i'm saying Oh, well, you know, when they're over here, that, that was the highlight of one of my wife's few concert experiences that she got to touch Rob Zombie's hand. And then I, I asked her, I'm like, so are you no not watching that for a week? Yeah, <laughs> that was bef- that was actually w- after we had tr- gotten married, like maybe a year after we had gotten married that we went to that show. But uh, and she was mostly going because she wanted to see the Necromantics because she was a big fan uh, of oh. them. Well, she likes Rob Zombie, too, but she's not also not a concert person. So like uh, getting a bit. She, I lost her, I think, for a while. And then when I found her, she's like, I touched Rob Zombie's hand. And I'm like, cool. You could have, like, dragged me along. Then we could have been best friends for life. Yeah, I could have touched his hand, too. What, what gives? <laughs> <laughs> so you you have this band that's there. And they, they're talking about the, the embarrassing thing that happened the night before to <clears throat> Sullivan's wife, right? Uh, or is it Banjo? Is he? Uh, no, it's, it's Sullivan. It's Sullivan? Banjo yeah. is the other guy, right? Yeah, Banjo is the... Uh shit stain the guy that pukes yes okay i, I <laughs> but, it's funny because otis calls him uh house but his name is roy right roy yes. sullivan which yeah is roy weird. sullivan and it's funny too because his wife the one that we're talking about had the incident uh, that's gloria that's who leslie yes. easterbrook auditioned for that's who Glory she was going to play but then now it's played by a completely different actress uh Ooh, who again barnes there, there we go <laughs> <laughs> i'm like D- D- dave will definitely fill it in for me but it's it's an interesting story like i was thinking about grabbing the clip from this but it's kind of it's all about just like uh, tiggle biddies plopping out and like spinning one way and spinning the other you know getting them tassels going but it's piggle titties going all over where they don't Um, flop they don't flop according (laughs) to her they don't flop and then of course uh, banjo's wife like she's like well you're just mad because you don't have any titties um and i'm like "Eh," you know later on she has titties yeah. Um, you know, and honestly, yours are not like when you said, you know, tiggle bitties, they're not tiggle bitties, they're just titties, <laughs> you know. So, everybody Philosophy. has titties. <laughs> so, 
they, they're basically talking outside and they're just talking about, you know, their stop off for the night. And then we get the funny little scene between Sullivan and their roadie, Jimmy, who is played by Brian Posehn, who honestly is a really, really nice guy. I've gotten to meet him twice. Um, and uh, I, one time when I met him, I wore my Spaceball shirt, and, you know, claim to fame. He loved my shirt. Uh, but he also does a, uh, a D&D podcast that I enjoy listening to as well. Uh, but of course I would. It's the only D&D podcast that I listen to because, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest D&D fan, but I like the comedians that are on it. Uh, I thought it was because you were both named Brian. Well, that might be it, too. You know, maybe he could be my best friend one of these days as well. You know, you a better it, chance than Rob Zombie. I probably do. But he knows like every fucking like metal guy in the industry as well, because he's, you know, self-proclaimed metalhead. And he truly is a, a big metalhead as well. Um, growing up in the Bay Area metal scene uh, and be, being a San Francisco Bay Area comic. So we, we at least have one of those things in common. Uh, I've never been a comic. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> but in this movie, he's rocking out that cheap trick shirt. He is. And he plays a, a good dumb guy but he's not necessarily the best actor at this time um because he really hadn't been in anything at all uh until really this movie and rob just kind of put him in there you want a character that's going to stand out and you get a really tall slow guy yeah exactly so he goes you know him and sullivan are going because his wife wanted him to get some ice because she was thirsty like what is ice going to do for you why don't you just open up whatever you're going to drink I don't know. And why Why would you trust to the ice bin at an outdoor motel in the middle of the desert? Hmm. Like, is that thing going to be working right? Is it not going to be like crawling with like scorpions or something like that in there? Apparently somebody has not seen Psycho 3. I'm yeah, just... exactly. Yeah, you know, somebody managed to pick up that DVD set just a little while ago. So, ooh, ooh we might be getting some psychos coming to the podcast. Who knows? Uh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but it, it's crazy that you, you, I guess maybe back at this time, maybe it wouldn't be so bad, but I would have thought that this isn't the way to go. Cause there's probably going to be a head inside of that ice machine when you get over there, but he does find something else, uh, a little bit more interesting when he does try to go over there and get some ice. Meow. Meow. Hey, pussycat. <laughs> Hey, got a light? No, uh, <clears throat> I don't smoke. My doctor says I got lungs like a professional athlete. Ah, I get it. You want to live forever. Yeah, yeah, well. So what, are you on vacation all by yourself or something? Yeah. Uh, no. <clears throat> I'm actually out here with my, my singing group. I do the lead singing for it. It's called Banjo and Sullivan. I used to sing with Johnny Cash. He shook my hand. I love famous people. They're so much better than the real thing, you know? Well, yeah, I suppose they are. I bet all the girls want to fuck you. Would you say that again? I bet all the girls want to fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) You kiss your mama with that mouth? Trust me, fella, that ain't the only thing I do with this mouth. Don't tell me that. Get some what? <laughs> Say that again. That isn't the only thing I do with this mouth. Uh. <laughs> it's so depressing. Well, let's let's talk about some of the symbols of of, of these these groups, like uh, the inverted cross or the the pentagram or the the number six 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 left at the scene of the crime. What do you what do you think about that? Oh, 
this is this is not an isolated incident. Well, members of these cults realize they have no chance of attacking God directly. So, the next best thing... Oh, hey, Adam, could you switch this for me? I, I just can't stand to hear about this anymore. Oh, that is oh, I look like Roy. I'm Solomon. Roy Solomon. Well, Roy Solomon. You gonna take me back to your own play with me? Um, uh, my wife's in that room. Who's my brother gonna have to shoot your fucking teeth out of your head? Okay, let's go, Hoss. So the whole setup that they've got going here, I feel it's just like perfect. Like she does a really great job of doing the seductress role and catching him off guard, and you can tell that he's got this like bigger than you know you. He's easily <laughs> he's got the whole running thing of I met her sang with Johnny Cash once which means that he might have been in the same bar and he just did karaoke one night and Johnny Cash happened to be there. And then he shook his hand because, you know what? Your karaoke was good. doesn't mean that you sang with Johnny Cash. You know, I, I he's so easily, like, manipulated that he's you've got this beautiful woman that is just telling you that I do these special things with my mouth more than just kiss my mama. And, you know, I bet all the girls like to fuck you. And it's like, come on, dude. I understand. You're kind of like thinking that you're, oh my God, I really am this like big hotshot guy, but. Uh. Yeah, it's it's hilarious because he's definitely struggling with uh, the identity of really, he's not Johnny Cash, right? And I love it because his story consistently changes because like you said, like one minute he met him, next minute he sung with him. And the next minute, oh, he shook my hand once. And so you could tell he's lying clearly the whole time, but this, this biggest thing is she makes him feel like the star he wants to be. And we oh, all yeah. know that that's, that's how you get a guy. That's the bait. <laughs> He's got one fucking roadie. That's it. He, he, his caravan is his wife, his, you know, basically they're like Simon and fucking Garfunkel without the hair, you know, <laughs> that they've got there Definitely. with, with the one roadie. And, you know, I don't even know if they have any amps back there or if it's just like a sleeping situation. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life that you're going around with absolutely nothing playing shows? I get Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. No, he sang with Johnny Cash so that he (laughs) shook his hand. Did you find it ironic that Jimmy uh, in this scene was talking about all these other careers he could have had? Oh, yeah. Upon which involved him being like athletic and fast, and in real life, he's like a sloth. <laughs> yeah, he's big, tall, and slow. So he's, he's like, like, I, I love the rodeo clown. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, I'm thinking about being a rodeo clown. <laughs> uh, what do you know about clowning? Like, you know, Brian Posey would probably make a pretty good like rodeo clown. It'd probably. be pretty good, like you know, distracting the bulls and stuff like that. Hey. Just to have him wear something big and red, and he'll be fine. Kool Aid. <laughs> poor, poor Brian. Uh, but yeah, so they do take him back over to the hotel room. We go back inside, and that's where we uh, unfortunately we have to say goodbye to Jimmy for the rest of the film. Oh, what is taking Roy so long anyway? Oh, my God. 
hell is this? God damn it, look at that jacket. What? On TV. What? Fuck the TV. What the TV? Fuck you. Hey, fuck you. Will you just keep your head on the business at hand here? Who's in the shower? Oh, that's my wife. God damn it. Don't fuck fucking I'm sorry. What are you going to do, man? What the fuck are you going to do? Huh? I want to know. What the fuck are you going to do? Hey, Ryan, open up. I got some of that Dr. Corndog's hickory smoked turkey. Who the fuck is that? That's Jimmy. I, he's our roadie. I, I forgot all about it. <laughs> now I know I can't trust you. Uh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong room. I'm looking for room number two. No, you got the right room. Come on in. Is Roy in there? Roy's in here, all right. Come on in. You're on your knees! Boy, help. Poor Jimmy, we hardly knew ye and you could have been a rodeo clown. That's right. And I think the reason he gets it and why Otis is so quick to make an example of him is because how Roy was like, I forgot all about him, meaning, oh, he's not important. Kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this isn't going to help me, you know, get what I need from these guys. I can waste him. Well, and he even says to, to Roy right away, too, he's like, no, nah, I can't tr- fucking trust you. And, like, I think he's also trying to make an example out of it, too, because maybe, yeah. you know, hey, I'm going to just kill him off because, hey, you didn't mention this guy. And now anything that you say, I, I can't believe anything that you say. Even though, I mean, honestly, if you're in Roy's situation and you got ambushed, I don't think I would have thought about Jimmy either, you know? Like, I would be like, oh, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Not, oh, fuck, Jimmy better make sure that he runs away and tells the cops that something's going on. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe give me the beef jerky first. <laughs> Doctor Corn Dogs? What the hell? <laughs> I know. This sounds like those goddamn podcast treats that were advertising on the podcast a while ago. <laughs> Stupid ass <laughs> things. Uh, like really, Doctor Corn Dogs jerky? Would you even eat that shit? I mean, like, is it made from corn dog? Is it fucking just like you know? Who who gets a degree in corn dogs? You know, the guy at the state fair. Oh, well, I guess somebody gets a degree in pepper, so somebody's got to get a degree in corn dogs. Oh, so he's got them all. They've got them all captured inside the room. We don't know what's going to go on, and that's where we go back over to Spalding, and we probably get what is some people's favorite scene in the movie. It's definitely some of my favorite dialogue in this movie. Uh, and definitely one of my favorite Spalding scenes ever when he's got to attend to some clown business. Come on, let's go get in. Mom, a clown. Yeah, yeah, clown. Uh-huh. Oh, hi. Hi. I'm going to have to be taking your car today. See, I have some top secret clown business that supersedes any plans that you might have for this here vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about clown business? <laughs> Uh, stutter, bitch. Jamie, get in the car. Lock the door. Where the hell are you going? Damn it. 
Don't you never turn your back on a fucking clown when he's talking to you. Fucking hands off of me! What's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? You best come up with an answer, because I'm going to come back here and check on you and your mama. If you ain't got a reason why you hate clowns, I'm going to kill your whole fucking family. All right, now get your fucking ass out the car. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking good. Uh, it's it, He's just, again, I, you did the, the motion while we were listening to the clip again, but just the change, the boom just yeah. drops like he he's really like hey you know i'm trying to be nice and then you don't listen to me boom now i'm gonna be serious and this is gonna be some shit to where he turns back into the fun loving clown when he's fucking with the kid that's, that's called kind of- bipolar <laughs> no but it's Pretty awesome much. and it shows his acting ability but it also it's interesting to me because he could have originally been aggressive and just stolen the car right but so much so that susan the woman he steals the car from he doesn't kill her i mean she gets knocked the fuck out but it was cool to at least see pj souls yeah he bitch slaps the shit out of her (laughs) and he lets the kid go yeah he tells the kid to run he doesn't do it that's the thing about spalding in generals i don't think that he kills anybody throughout the whole this whole movie, he definitely didn't do it in House of Thousand Corpses. Wait, yes, he did. But that was because he was it was self-defense. He was getting robbed, and yep. they pointed a gun at him, so he made sure that they got what they deserved. So and they made the threat of not liking clowns. I mean, Exactly. So the, maybe I expected him to kill the kid then, because he didn't like clowns. He gave <laughs> he the threat. It well. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure he handled it well? <laughs> hey, man, he took it like a champ, and he ran away. True, you may have been able to collect his mama too off the ground. <laughs> he left her behind. Oh, he just <laughs> little Jamie just followed I gotta, out of there. <laughs> I gotta figure out why I don't like clowns. I gotta figure out why I don't like clowns. <laughs> That's the reason why he has clown phobia. <laughs> That's right. And later on, he's gonna end up on some radio station somewhere and he's gonna talk about how he has a clown phobia just because he got approached by one in the middle of broad daylight. And that said that, you know, you got to find a reason why you don't like clowns. And now he spreads the gospel. So that way clowns don't come back and get him. Hallelujah. 18. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's it's a well done scene. It's again, it's kind of a little bit of a non sequitur, but it still makes sense in terms of the progression of him showing what he's doing, you know, to get to where he needs to. He runs out of gas. He's got to go and he's got to steal a car. So he has this scene. And it's a, a you know spotlight scene for the character. We go ahead and we check back in with uh, our lovely band, along with you know our lovely uh, Otis and Baby, and they're there inside the hotel. And she's dancing. Now I cut the beginning part off while she's dancing, what she's saying, because uh, I don't necessarily need to include it with it. But especially the motions that he's doing, she's she's singing the words, you know, Chinese, Japanese. Look at these. Uh, but she's doing like the eye stuff and everything like that. And I don't know, like maybe back when this was done, okay, I kind of get it. Now it's just a little bit awkward for me. And maybe that's just a sign of the times and maybe I'm just a pussy, but who really cares? <laughs> well, not so much. I mean, you did just bring it back up. 
I did. I did bring it back up and I, I did say it. But, uh, you know, that gets to one of the most awkward scenes in the movie. So I cut this also. I cut that awkward sequence out because it's a long sequence of silence. But mm-hmm. we are going to talk about it after we kind of get out of this scene. Hossie, staring at my sister thinking bad thoughts? No. Well, why not? You a faggot? No. Well, what are you? I mean, you got this hot piece of ass shaking her shit right in front of you and you're not getting any ideas? What do you call that? I'm a married man. <laughs> a married fucking man. Hey, that's just great. Well, let's give him a big round of applause, folks, for the married man. Come on. All right. Wow. Okay, mama, front and center on your feet. Don't hurt her. Get on your feet. Come on. Let's go. Please, mister, this is insane. Boy, the next word that comes out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit, because it's definitely getting chiseled on your tombstone. Okay. Come on, Mama. Take that shit off. Let's see what's been holding Hoss's balls at attention all these years. What? What? Take off your clothes, or one of these assholes is going to die. So, this is one that's still rough to watch. It was rough to watch when I first saw it in the theater. And it's still one of the scenes where I kind of cringe back just because it's, it's a testament again to Bill Mosley's acting in this scene and how creepy it gets. And also the, how it's written to make the audience feel totally uncomfortable and separate yourselves from, I think, connecting and cheering for the antagonists, of this film once again. Yeah, that's perfect because that's what Rob Zombie had said too, is that this for most people, especially in the audience was the turning point of the film where it quickly reminded you that we were in a horror movie. Oh yeah. And that these are not good people. Yeah. We just laughed at Captain Spaulding doing the scene with the kid and it's, it's well done. It's a funny scene, even though it's done serious, you still kind of come out of it with a smile on your face. Everybody quotes the goddamn scene, but nobody that I know quotes the scene or wants to reenact the scene that, that goes through with Gloria and Otis where he basically rapes her with a gun. He does. And he's just proven a point to everybody. In that room that, I mean, what does he say? He says, uh, he's the devil. She's this filthy whore. (laughs) Yeah. He he just, he gets off on it. And this is, he's basically asserting dominance over everybody in the room. Uh, Basic. And, you know, it also goes with something that happens later with baby. It's the same exact thing. It's all about mental. It's not about the, you know, what the, the danger of the situation is. It's that, okay, I'm holding you guys hostage. I can do what the fuck I want. And I'm going to still threaten everybody else. Like, you're going to do it because you don't want anything to happen to you. But we know that Otis as a character honestly doesn't give a shit. And he's just going to, even if they they did everything they asked, he's still going to do whatever he wants to do later on. That's right. He's methodical and sporadic at the same time. He's a, a dangerous cuisine man. And this whole time, he's just staring eye to eye with Roy Sullivan. He said dangerous. It sounded like he said dangerous cuisine. Not like, is that lean cuisine's cousin? <laughs> that's the one that's got the extra brownie in there, you know. <laughs> that's the one you don't know whether or not it's going to give you instant artery blockage. 
not, you're going to take your, your roll of the dice with dangerous cuisine. That's right. It's one where the corn gets mixed into everything. Corn oh, trees. God damn it. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it, it is a, if you take it for the, the face value of the scene and what it's doing, it's really well done. The music changes completely. You know, he, Rob Zombie has a, a very, I don't want to say it's a bad case, but a case of the music being on the nose for the orchestral stuff that he does, where like he wants tension and he wants, uh, you know, it to get fast paced. The music gets faster. It gets louder. It, it punches you in the face in it, you know, when something's going to be unexpected, it's not like the shriek of the violins that you hear from a lot of other horror movies, but it's definitely like the volume increases, but here everything kind of just drops out and you're focused on strictly what Otis is doing. And you have baby in the background, like making these snide remarks about her body you know she's she's basically like yeah she's got a pretty tight ass there and you're like uh you you know what's going on right and you're cool with you know oh yeah otis doing this you know you know he's not gonna do it she is right and that's just the kind of person she is also it's hilarious because she's also shoving the other girl on the bed just consistently pushing her in the back oh yeah it's absolutely crazy and and like i said the scene is done so well and then you, you have uh of course, in the last scene where, you know, Banjo threw up all over the place after poor Jimmy got it in the head. <laughs> you know, and that's still, like, everywhere on the bed. So she's probably shoving her into the vomit that's there on the bed as well. And I bet you that uh, you know, Otis threw Gloria, poor Gloria, on the vomit oh, as well. right into it. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, he gets everything that he wants out of her. And the thing is, is that he doesn't, you can kind of tell, too, he doesn't even really want it. It's just because he can't. So from here, we cut over and we're going to... Now, this is something... I want to do the whole scene, but I I cut it into two uh, because I think we can talk about the first part because there is a change in between the first half of the scene and the second half of the scene from what gets told in the second half of the scene. And and really, this is kind of the start of Wydell's like, descent into being another antagonist in the film, even though he does start kind of as... You know, okay, I get it. Hard-ass sheriff. He's doing his job, and he's going to make sure he goes after. But he's going to realize that he's not. This isn't his full transformation. His full transformation happens much later in the film. But this is where you kind of get it going. So why don't we first listen to the first part of Wydell and Mama uh, basically talking to each other and kind of exploring each other, but not in that way. My name is Sheriff John Quincy Wydell. Let's see who we got here. It's Gloria Teasdale, alias E. Wilson, alias Southern Betty Woods, Betsy Woods, and of course, alias Mother Firefly. You can read. Congratulations. Four counts grand theft auto. Five counts armed robbery. Huh? What's this? Looks like your specialty. 17 counts solicitation and prostitution. You've been one busy whore. I bet them old farm boys love you. 
Everyone loves me. Don't you pretend you don't fancy me. Yes, ma'am. I find you quite irresistible. Dobson? Yes, sir. Put them books over there. Got it. And you recognize these books here? Yeah. Ain't she an angel? But she gonna be one dead angel when I catch up to her. You. Your whole clan, you dead already. You just ghosts just waiting to expire. And the way I figure it, the only choice you got is to cooperate and tell me where they are. That way you're the angel over there. Don't have to die like no dog in the streets when I catch you. Are you done trying to scare me? No, ma'am. God is my witness. I have only just begun. So it's really great to see these two act off each other. I, I really enjoy watching Wydell and Mama Firefly have these interactions, even though it's going to just a little off the deep end, but it still fits for the scene like this this is a case of you know there's overacting nicholas cage overacting where it's just there for the the thing of it you know <laughs> and, and you guys can't see me doing the finger thing but that's that's the nicholas cage thing like he's self-aware he's overacting in the scene and he doesn't have to do it right but he does it in some things and then there's this because and, and the reason I think that I accept it is because of this half of the scene that we have here. That she's cool, calm, and collective, and she knows what he's doing. And so what's the only way that she can get a kind of one-up on him is to be crazier than he is. Right. So, I, I mean, what, what are your thoughts kind of on the, the, the first half of the scene? She's on a pedestal already, right? Because she's got to follow in the footsteps of Karen Black. Mm -hmm. And so we're already, usually I'm not on board with an, a changed actor or actress playing the same character. I'm like, oh man, that's hard to get into character and to believe that now. But she does a really fantastic job. And yes, she does a lot of overacting in it, but it really shines because it shows that she can be balls to the wall, batshit crazy, just like whoever she has to be in a scene with. And I feel like, I mean, she's Mother Firefly, right? She, in a sense, is the leader of this pack, right? Those are her kids. Those are her babies. They had to get it from somewhere. Crazy mom, crazy dad. And as we see the sheriff's character descend into madness, it's a great offset to kind of see the way she is on a level playing field because um, as as people may have heard in the interview, um, she talks about this scene a lot. And I love it because... Throughout this movie, Rob Zombie was like consistently writing script changes as it went on, so much so that this scene was heavily affected because he was telling her to do one thing and he wasn't telling him what he was saying. <laughs> and so what you have is Leslie overacting on purpose and Wydell over here is trying to play off it as best as he can. Yeah, and it really does show. And you can tell that he's, and it, maybe it's also the struggle of, of the actor trying to maintain the character that he wants with what he's seeing coming from the other actor, but also the character himself trying to stay the same in front of her as she's goading him again. And we definitely see that goading in this next clip where she talks about his brother. 
Oh. Here. Can I show you something? I'll leave this bowl here. Oh, I did never get around to putting these in the book proper. But I thought you might enjoy them. Oh, you know, he was a real sweetie pie. Tall, big mustache, old hair. You know, I think the fame about blowing his brains out, because he seemed like such a nice man. I think he said his name was also Vidal. Was he kin to you? Listen to me, you listen to me good. Jill, every member of your family, I'm going to hunt them down as the animals they are, and I'm going to skin them alive. They are going to feel the pain and suffering of every last victim. They're going to pull their hands and knees, and they're going to beg me for mercy. But all I'm going to have for them is pain. Not imagine her being Gloria if she overacted way more than this for Gloria's scenes. Yeah, no, it, it seems she's so perfect, weird. Man. It's it, I love it. She shines so bright in this scene. Um, it's actually really funny too. I don't know if you caught this in a watch, but there is a mess up in this scene. Um, so you know the whole time she's handcuffed, right? Uh huh. And then that scene where she's like, you ain't never, her hands go up like this. She's not handcuffed. And the next scene she's handcuffed again. And (laughs) I remember Rob was like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I like like the rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the editing of this podcast sometimes, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Sometimes things go just uh, in there and out there and (laughs) and they stay in there because he forgets about it. Uh, But yeah, it's. (laughs) They become a blooper at the end of the year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's going to be. There'll be plenty that you probably already listened to since this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, it's it's really well done. Like, I like the playoff of ghosts that they talk about. So he talks about the front beginning. And he's like, You're, you and your family are just going to be ghosts. And then she turns around on him because what do ghosts do? Ghosts haunt people. And that the fact that he's chasing the ghost, right? That's also mm-hmm. a, a term that that's wildly used. Uh <laughs> That sounds terrible when I say it that way, but it's, you know, he's basically, that's what he's chasing. He's chasing something that he's never truly going to catch. And it's kind of what, you know, a a metaphor or portent towards the end of the film that this chase is going to, you know, she's basically kind of warning him at the same time, but she knows that it's going to happen. Like she can already tell, and she's the one that is creating the catalyst for him to do it. And I also like the fact that she's like, 
she kind of like looks for the book. She's t- or she's talking like she's going to look for the book, but it just happens to be the one that's right on top. She knows right where it is. Yeah. It's just like this book over here, and you're like, okay, she's going to reach down. No, it's right there on top. I'm like, okay, that's the most obvious one. Like, at least go down like two or something, and then pull out the book, so it looks like you're really searching. She should know which book it is, but for it to be the one that's on top is. A little well, ridiculous. She, and she's antagonizing, right? She knows what she's doing. She's oh, yeah. feeding fuel to the fire. And I love it because she's like, oh, what, hold on a second. Like, she knows that's his brother. And this is creating the spark that creates the fire right inside of him. And we see that rage come out of him. He's, like, choking her, and they have to pull him off of her. Oh, and yeah. you have – I think it's really important. We talk about the way he becomes kind of the bad guy in the movie. You need a vigilante that walks that line to even compete on this level with the Devil's Rejects. Right, and that's why we end up getting the Unholy 2 as well, right? Even though they're not in the movie for very long, uh, they're, they're, they may have been supposed to be in it more than they actually were, but it's still, you know, it, those are the guys that you need to be able to compete with the crazies that we're dealing with especially as we move forward with the fate of Banjo and Sullivan. So, it, it, again, this scene is, in some people may laugh at it. They may think that it's a little bit too over the top, or they may think that it just doesn't really mesh well, but it truly does because it, breaking, I feel like breaking it apart too, you see the two different types of Mama Firefly. And it's, you see those acting styles work where you have this cool, calm, collective, and she's just waiting for him to basically give her the in so that she can fuck with his mind. Because that's right. all the fucking Firefly family does is just mess with your mind. And, and as we see a little later with Baby and the two girls in the hotel. So from here, after we've had this confrontation, we cut back and we see that Otis is busy driving with Banjo and Sullivan out into the desert. And you know, that's where he first has a question for the good old boys for house over there. And then he finally does explain to them what's a fucking going to happen to them. Hey, you like this song? Do you like this song? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, really? Which way? You're right. the yellow brick road you know Hoss if I'm not mistaken I, I think I could still smell your wife's pussy stink on my gun hope it doesn't rust the barrel oh man now the stress of the day is really setting in on me would you guys happen to know how a guy like me could uh, relieve some tension? Yeah, maybe, I think, I think your wife Wendy, boy, uh, looks like she could relieve some tension. Mr. Where are we going? Little titties. Oh, we're going down the, down the road here. Little titties. She's got a tight little ass. Does she like it when you puke? I mean, is that part of your deal? Or... Where are you taking us? Well, 
I guess it wouldn't do no harm to tell you none. Let's see, uh, we're gonna go dig up some guns I buried out here a couple years ago. Then what? Well, there ain't no what. That's the end of the road. You're not gonna kill us, are you? Well, killing sounds so permanent. You did everything you want, Mr. Honnick. Just let us go. We did what you said. Well, you know, first of all, I didn't say anything. And second of all, I'm calling the shots! Consider me fucking Willie fucking Wonka! This is my fucking chocolate factory! You got it! My factory! No! Get it, boy! So, the whole setup for this scene, again, it's, again, accredited to Bill Mosley and what he can do with this character. And just that he's, you know, he's got his standards when it comes to music. First, you know, he's not down with the fooled around and fell in love, you know, (laughs) this corporate bullshit. And he's like, I thought you guys were like real true blue country folk and you're cool with this song. Well, you guys are just a city boys, basically, Uh, you know, to say the least when it comes to that. But (laughs) and then, you know, he gets out and he starts antagonizing again that I can smell your wife's, you know, pussy funk coming off my gun. Oh, but don't rust the barrel. You know, Great it, <laughs> it's it's terrible. Again, he's talking about terrible things, but again, you're kind of connecting because the way that he's setting everything up, that he's just like laughing and, and kind of dancing along with the whole situation. And even though he's going to do some terrible, and then they're like, well, what are we doing out here? Like, Doesn't hurt to, he- to tell you, but we're going to get some guns. Let's put some guns out here. And then I love the line too. It's like, well, killing you, that just sounds too permanent. Well, what the fuck are you going to do out here? You know, well, what is so, what part of non-permanent is, are you going to do to them? You're going to injure them. You're going to leave them out there in the middle of the desert just to die. What, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, it's an interesting setup. I, again, the, in this scene, you could tell that it's broad daylight, but as we know, like the sun's going to start setting soon. And I don't know. It's just, it's so Hills has, has a hit. Man, I can't talk to it. It's so hills have. <laughs> can you say this? Hills have eyes ish. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely hills have eyes ish. Uh, well, way to go. Leave it in. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's all desert sand, and they're walking out there and gravel road and everything. And I remember when they talked about filming the scene, uh, similarly, House of a Thousand, they had to have somebody out there to help out because it was like scorpions and snakes everywhere. And there's like, oh, well, just be careful. And so if you notice in the scene, they're like looking down when they walk. And so it fits the scene for two reasons. Like one, I mean, their head's down. They got a guy with a gun following them. Two, they're watching to make sure they don't get bit or stung. Yeah. Well, the reaction to that uh, Sullivan has, you know, he's like, what? Yeah. Why yeah. Did you? <laughs> what do you? What do you mean you're going to do something like, like, we've done everything you said. And I love that. It's, <laughs> I'm Willy fucking Wonka. And this is my chocolate fucking factory. <laughs> 70s references. Oh, it's it's great, though. I mean, again, you're just, you're weirdly connecting with Otis at this point not in that I'm going to do this or I have done this because, you know, I don't know about you, but I've never done anything like this before. Never kidnapped some, you know, low level country stars that said that they might've somehow been in the same room as Johnny Cash, drove them out to a desert and decided to have them dig up my guns. So that way I can just leave them there in the desert. I've never done anything like that. 
I've only kidnapped a couple of country boys before, but nothing else. You know, I was going to say never with people who have uh, met Johnny Cash, but Roy Orbison, yes. No, <laughs> you you managed to get Roy better than Conway Twitty, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just like even when they they get into the fight here, it's they're just not strong enough to do anything to Otis. Like he hits him in the back of the head with that big whatever that branch or pipe or that it's big it's heavy it's wood it's log uh and so it just like but it doesn't do anything to him doesn't phase him you know he manages to knock him over and then shoot fucking you know banjo in the throat yeah it's a it's a great scene because something that rob does here is it's not like a Hollywood fight scene. Like nobody throws up their dukes and starts boxing. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally three guys out there who are just fighting for survival. And so you're going to fight in in a messy format. You're going to, you know, dive on each other, choke each other out, do what you got to do. And unfortunately, yeah, Banjo takes a bullet right to the throat and dude, again, practical effects. Amazing. And there is only one real, I'd say digital effect is when he gets shot in the throat. Right, just when, that when the wound point. comes in, and then after that, it's all practical effects with blood, and you see it kind of spurting everywhere and, yes. and doing all that stuff. And what's great about the fight is too is you can tell these two really aren't fighters. You know, the fact that they can't do enough damage. If they were like the big burly countrymen, that is like the stereotype that they would have been able to beat the shit out of him. And you know, maybe he's sly and slithery enough to get away. He still, you know if they both were able to actually overcome him and were that type of person, they could have easily. Oh, so what you're saying is city boys can't fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm saying city boys in this situation that pretend to be country boys can't fight. I'll go with that. So, and that probably leads to one of the, my favorite scenes from Otis in the movie. Uh, when, you know, after he's gotten the upper hand, he's shot Banjo in the neck. He's bleeding profusely on the ground. And then he goes over to, Sullivan and asks him that to speak to his God. Ah! Mister, stop! Please, stop! Stop! Bitch, I have just started. You know, I was going to take it easy on you, boy, but you brought this down on yourself. You had to come all fucking. Big sick, walking tall like a big fucking hero. Got yourself to blame, hero. Look at you now, hero. You're gonna fucking bleed to death. Fuck you. That's what they all say. Fuck you. Well, I ain't gonna save you. Don't scare me, none, and it don't suddenly make you a fucking hero. You wanna see what happens to heroes, boys? You want to see badass, motherfucker? I'll show you badass! Right! Right! Hoss, I want you to pray to your God. I want you to pray that he comes and saves you. I want lightning to come down and crash upon my fucking head. Jesus. Louder! Ah, Bless the bunnies. Bless the little birds. Bless the I don't feel anything. Ah, bless the springtime morning. Oh, 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 I feel it. Oh, great God Almighty, I repent, I repent. Oh, I feel the love of the God, God, God Almighty. 
Almighty. Oh, the Holy Spirit is in my body. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. It's like the perfect end of that scene. Just that the way that he delivers that line, because there's that pause and he's, you know, he's kind of dancing around. He's mocking them the entire time and his hair is going everywhere. But when he wants to tell them that he's the devil, moves his hair aside so they can stare him right in the goddamn face. And he can tell him that he's the devil. I'm here to do yeah. the devil's work. His and then just blood covered his head. Yeah. Because Banjo at one point does spit his own blood into his face, which is funny at the same time that it's disgusting but <laughs> it, it's it's a well done scene because it, you can tell what he believes and and how he approaches everything like when he's talking about god and he's like oh yeah have him strike me down right now and all sullivan can say is oh bless the bunnies bless the birds <laughs> like <laughs> it's not even a prayer you're just blessing things you're not a fucking priest right yeah i remember uh whenever they were doing that scene, it's funny. It, it was kind of ad lib. And so he was just saying all these random things. And Rob was like, I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> and so Bill, Bill Mosley's just like looking up. <laughs> Whack. And, and he just beats them both with the stick. He finishes off O'Sullivan and then he goes back over to Banjo and that, that's it. It's the end of those guys. Yeah, well, when he crouches down on Banjo, we get to see uh, a little bit of knife action come into play. We do. There is some knife. And and the thing is that he's, like, well-prepared, too, because even when, you know, Banjo does attack him, he does pull out the knife and stab him in the in the leg with the knife. And I know we keep gushing over it, man, and this we're trying not to make this too long of a podcast. It's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to no. be long. But the thing is, is <laughs> the way that it's filmed, it's – a lot like Texas Chainsaw in some scenes where this scene isn't overly graphic. It's just heavily implied. And Correct. so the, the camera angle and the brutality of the music alone just makes you feel like you're seeing the scene take place when you're seeing the legs kicking and you're hearing the daunting music and we're not really seeing much at all. No. And everything is really far shot away. Again, it's that long shot. You know that you want to be, it's like the morbid curiosity. You want to see it because you want to see what's going on, but you're not allowed to see it, right? right. He, it's, it's one of those things where maybe you connected to this character because of the way that he acted, you know, about God and what he was saying in that scene because it's funny and you get a kick out of the way that it is. But when it's the violence, they don't allow you to, to like be over the character's shoulder and actually experiencing it. It's it's one thing that you see like people getting shot because you kind of see that everywhere, but you don't see the extreme violent stuff really happen to the characters. I think the closest you get is seeing, uh, you know, what's going to happen eventually to Banjo's wife, and then what happened to Brian Posehn's Jimmy, right? I think those are probably the two of the worst things. You do see something to one of the prostitutes later, but I don't feel like it's like super super gore for right. what it is. So. From here, we cut over and we, we're back over with Wydell, and they're looking at the wall of, of everybody there. They have the mug shots. It's weird that they have these mug shots for these guys. Like, they've been arrested for other stuff, but they've never pinned them for anything else. That's the other thing that was driving me crazy. Like, they're, they're like these terrible killers, but they've got mug shots from who knows when. 
That's so weird. I have never thought about it. I know they it made sense for the promos for the movie because it just looks amazing, right? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if they had the ability to take mug shots of them, they had them in their grasp, like they would totally have been locked up or sentenced to death at this point. But yeah, needless to say, we uh, we get to see the mug shots and damn, they look great. And that's where you get, and we we talked about this before we started the podcast, but one of the trivia facts that are out there that's like, uh, oh, this is like movie trivia, that the names of the characters are derived from Groucho Marx characters. But we are told this in this next scene of the movie. Like, I, I still, it still bothers me that somebody put that out there, that this is trivia for the movie, when the movie tells you specifically that, all these are in related to, to Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, anybody could type up trivia and submit it. And um, there's a lot of trivia for this movie out there, but yeah, some of it is redundant. Yeah, what, what, what can we type up for this movie? That's a, the tr- an obvious trivia like question. I'd have to reread to see which one we can't copy because it could be as simple as saying, this is the follow-up to House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> did you know that barbara crampton wasn't in this one but in three from hell <laughs> oh boy so that's where and and this is a weird scene this is the only reason i'm kind of adding this scene in to the dialogue i was thinking about kicking it out but i decided to actually keep it is when they get the movie critic and so let's let's play the scene real fast and and the main reason that that i uh, say i love it because I've got a picture of a certain somebody sitting here in my living room uh, that is very close to Sheriff Wydell as well, as we learn from the critic and the death of Groucho Marx. Sheriff Wydell, it's a pleasure. I rushed right over as soon as I got your call. You came to the right man. I happen to be a self-proclaimed Marx Brothers expert if I say so myself. Well, I'm sure your knowledge of bullshit is limitless. Why don't we get to the point? What do you got for me? Well, I got a fucking grocery list for you of all the major Marx Brothers characters and related characters, and I made a secondary list of any and all films having to do with Groucho, including such gems as A Girl in Every Port and Skidoo, where Groucho played the part of God. <laughs> directed by Otto Preminger, who happened to be Jewish, although he played a Nazi commandant in Stalag 17, directed by Billy Wilder. Otto Preminger also directed Exodus, and it's rumored that at the premiere, Mort Sol stood up, yelled at the screen, Otto! Let my people go! It's ironic, don't you think? Nazi state of Israel? They're all here. All the aliases. Rufus Firefly, Otis Driftwood, Captain Spaulding, all of them. Hey, Chief. You know, I'm thinking we ought to track down this Groucho Marx guy, ask him a few questions. Uh, Maybe he's involved. Idiot. He died last year. He died, didn't he? <laughs> oh, God damn it. God damn it. See, that right there is one sad, pathetic state of cinematic affairs. If you weren't a cop, I'd wring your neck. Hey, hey, let's take that down a notch. Oh, excuse me! Excuse me! This sneering, rotating, gyrating pelvis son of a bitch! He died three days before Groucho stole all the goddamn headlines. That goddamn fucking Elvis Presley. What did you say about the king? I said he died three days before Groucho! Son... You ever say another derogatory word about Elvis Aaron Presley in my presence again? I will kick the living shit out of you! You get this Hollywood-loving pussy out of my face! Elvis was in Hollywood! Get the hell out of here! His first film, Love Get Out! Was based on the Irish folk song! Fuck Groucho! 
That's right. <laughs> Fuck Groucho. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's easily one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's a weird scene though, because it feels like it's just out of place in the way that it is where you have, you know, the guy come in to basically, he just wants to see if the aliases match. Like that these guys were fans of Groucho Marx's films or that what, what connection it could possibly do. And he comes in trying to be like, Oh, I'm the world's greatest expert on Groucho Marx. So let's go ahead and let's just talk about everything. I prepared all this shit for you. He's like the local movie you know, critic movie critic and so he is gonna have all this knowledge on here but uh one of the fun facts i learned about it was he this guy who played the role uh, he was the only person to actually audition for it oh really and so he Rob just got was, it he, well you would think it would just been that circumstance but the fact is is not only was he the only one who did it but he actually like blew rob away with it um because the guy legit acted like that and he really does have this kind of knowledge about it so he was an easy person to cast for it well, that's, that's perfect for the, the film. It's it's just, I, I feel that some may think that it's, like I said, just a little out of place. Like, it goes on for a little long. I know that you, you I can see over there on the yep. other side. I'm shaming you. Know, you. Shaming me. Don't hate it. I'm not saying that I hate it. I'm just saying that some people may think that it's out of place. Some people named Brian? Well, to an extent, I still think that the scene is is good. I'm not saying that the scene, but... If it got cut and it was a deleted scene, I would be like, okay, I understand why. It did get chopped down. It was usually, it was, I think, intended to be this five-minute scene where they get into this big um, argument, but um, they chopped it down to just talk a little bit about the Groucho, uh, the Marx Brothers, and I gotta, I like the Marx Brothers. I don't know if you've seen any of their movies, but uh, A Night in Opera is hilarious. Just plug Groucho, hilarious. And I feel like Jerry Seinfeld steals his shtick. I, I said it. <laughs> Well, you know, as long as you ain't talking shit about the king, everything will be okay. Hey, I love Elvis too. <laughs> yeah, see, I've got my, I've seen every Elvis film, not because I wanted to, but because oh. my my grandmother uh, was absolutely in love with Elvis Presley. And in fact, and I'm going to, nobody else can see this only so far, unless you listen to it be like that. This painting that Dave is looking at is my grandmother's painting that hangs in my kitchen where I record. And so that's a piece of my family history that I, I keep with me. And every time I look at it, it reminds me of my grandfather and my grandmother because of going over there, you know, so I have a connection to Elvis in that way. Like that was the one musician that she was absolutely obsessed with. I mean, there is a, I think my uncle still has it. There's one of those laminated like wood clocks that mm -hmm. has his image from, you know, uh, from I think one of his Hawaiian shows that she got in Hawaii that they still keep and still runs to this day. That's so really cool. It's like really ridiculous. Uh, and that's why I agree with uh, Wydell here and saying, fuck Groucho. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love, love Elvis, man. Um, oh, even if, hey, I'm with you, man. Even if he did steal a lot of his music. There, I said it. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo. So we then cut back over and we see that baby. Now there's a scene that happens before this too. And, and kind of in fading and I wanted to talk about this kind of together uh, because they, it all kind of matches up and I know that I probably do this a little out of order and it wasn't necessarily because I forgot it I just wanted to go to the Groucho scene first um, so you have Gloria uh, and I'm sorry what's Banjo's wife's name Wendy Wendy okay I, I see that bitch doesn't really ring for when I want to talk about that that person <laughs> 
<laughs> you have Wendy, uh, Baby, and Gloria. They're all sitting in the room, and it's obvious that they're trying something, right? Because they're kind of looking at each other, and then she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And Gloria looks over at her, and she's like, can she go pee? And that's where they play the hitting game. Uh, because she's like, I don't care. You can just fucking pee all over the bed. I don't give a shit with what's going on. What are you going to do for me? And they're like, well, what do you want? She's like, hit her. Hit her? Yeah, hit her. Not one of those little love tats, not the little, eh, eh. No, she wants some, like, big, like, smack in the face type of thing that's that's going on, even though that might have been as loud as I thought it was going to be. Um, baby probably would have had me hit myself once more. <laughs> this time, make sure that it counts. And eventually she does just smack the shit out of Gloria and... and I thought, see, I remembered it being a little different, like she punched her in the face or something like that. But it still was just a slap. I don't know why I thought that she like punched her for some the reason. The scene's intense because, like you said, they do it three different times. But you can see um, the character like grabbing the bed sheets, like bracing herself for impact. And that last yeah. one, yeah, it wasn't a punch, but it's, I mean, front hand or back hand, she slaps the shit out of her. Oh yeah, and so she's allowed to go to the bathroom. But not before she kisses baby and then says, thank you for the good time, which she does. And then she goes in the bathroom and the moment she goes into the bathroom, she race tries like making a ton of noise to fucking escape. Yeah. Like you couldn't have just like tried to do something easier. And I was surprised that when she busted out the window, like she couldn't crawl through the window. Like didn't that, that to me, that didn't make sense. Like, you yeah, broke you, the window and you can't get out, and I don't see, like, you know, bars in front of it or anything. Right. She just was screaming for help, and that's what got Baby's attention. You're like, why are you such an idiot? Because you could have just tried to climb through it. Yeah, maybe you're going to hurt yourself because the glass is there. You're not wearing anything but that shirt. You know, you don't want to have your small titties, I guess, hanging out there for everybody <laughs> to see. But you're going to save your fucking life at the same time, right. you know? And you possibly could save Gloria's at the same time. And get baby captured but instead nope she's gonna start screaming for help nobody's gonna hear it that's the other thing how many people are renting rooms at this hotel are they the only ones because that's what it seems like yeah and and so the cleaning crew nor the uh you know whoever's behind the front desk they can't hear you scream is this like aliens in space nobody (laughs) here can hear anybody scream well here i'm gonna make another connection for you so they're in room two right Mm -hmm. that's when okay so you know why right because in room one that's reserved for whenever Norman Bates watches you take a shower. See, there's your oh. psycho tie-in again. There you go. So that means there must be a peephole inside somewhere in that bathroom so they can see what's actually going on. <laughs> and so, you know, baby goes over the door and Gloria gets the gun, right? And she's like, I'm going to, you know, let us go or, you know, get her, let her out of here. I'm going to shoot you. And uh, we learn that there are absolutely no bullets in the gun and baby throws her knife perfectly hitting Gloria in the chest exactly where she needs to hit her to kill her which damn good shot let me tell you and even that scene of her pulling out the knife even though it's a little you know computer generated it still is painful to watch it is painful to watch and it just goes to show like we always have this ongoing war between CGI and practical but the happy marriage is when you can mix them both and it disguises each one. And uh, I mean, honestly, I remember seeing this in theater and it didn't even occur to me that 
the graphics were done by a computer on certain parts, right? And then when I'm rewatching it, maybe because of the Three from Hell stuff, um, I'm paying more attention <laughs> and I see some of the stuff stand out, but I just feel like it was done so well. But one thing I want to call out, another thing that we'll get to in Three from Hell is even right now, it's surprising, but when we see how Baby handles a knife in there, we it put two and two together, she knows how to throw a fucking knife. Oh yeah, she definitely does. She's Definitely, if you had to give her, like, like we were going through all these characters and we're saying these are their skill sets, right? You know, you have somebody that's, like, firearms, somebody that's survival, somebody that's, you know, like, video game tropes. She would be, like, the Tomb Raider of the, the, the group in terms of her skills. She's good with a bow. She's good with hunting knives. You know, she doesn't use guns very often, but if she does, she uses, like, a handgun and does it relatively well. Uh, but she's more about using just natural style weapons and we learn a little more about that with three from hell with everything that she uses in that movie as well so you know and i, I don't know where you'd put otis in this thing i guess he would be just assault weapons because he tends to use more handguns rifles things like that although if you're going with three from hell it would be uh what's his name god i can't remember his richard name. richard Brake's character yeah whatever his character's yeah. name is <laughs> <laughs> that's another uh, episode that's the next episode. I mean, we don't know what's next at all. We don't. Uh, yeah. But I mean, if you do part one and part two, it could still go anywhere from there. That's true. So eventually, you know, Wendy does run out, out, out of the, the unit, right? She does get away, manages to get away from Baby, but she ends up running directly into Captain Spaulding and takes a big headbutt from him and gets dragged back the fuck into the room. And then that's where we, we cut over and we see the Groucho scene with, you know, everybody there. Uh, from after that, we come back. And as they're waiting for Otis, he breaks in. And he breaks in wearing something awfully familiar. <laughs> fucking knock. Where the fuck you been? Did you get everything? Uh, yeah, I got everything. <laughs> you motherfucker, where the fuck have you been? Hey! You got a problem with my time frame, son. You best spit it out right now. Yeah, I got a problem. I got a big fucking problem, bozo. Well, make your move, Whitey. Two hits. I hit you and your dick hits the fucking dirt. Old man, you ain't hitting nothing. Come on, shit. We gotta get the fuck out of here. What are we gonna do with this one? Leave her for the maid to clean up. I got a better idea. taking a page right of a house of a thousand corpses he comes in with banjo's face and he busts into the room and scares the living crap out of them and then that, that's this is where i'm like i'm not sure exactly the relationship they, they're family but what is the relationship between spaulding and otis is it that that's his his father or are they brothers or is that his nephew like what is it exactly yeah I've never done the research to clarify, but I've always just understood that um, 
Captain Spaulding was just the dad figure, whether it's biological or not. He's the father figure of them. And yeah, I know we could play a cheap card and go, well, he calls him son. I mean, I mean, people talk like that. It can be anything, but I feel like that's kind of what we get throughout this movie is the role of Otis is, you know, he's the, how do you say like too big for your britches type character and the dad now he's you know he's standing up against his dad and so now you have the double testosterone and i think it plays very well because i'm sure it's on two levels it's the characters but it's also probably the actors having fun just trying to outdo each other on set oh yeah you definitely get that feeling while watching them both on the screen with each other who's going to steal the scene more is it going to be in this scene is it going to be mosley or is it going to be hey you know uh, or is it going to be, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie? Which which one of the three is going to try to take this away? Unfortunately, I feel like at least with this film, it's always going to be between when Hag, when all three of them are, it's between Hag and Mosley that's yep. trying to steal a scene. Because I think they're written in that way when they're together in the scenes, right? It's not necessarily because, uh, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie is, is not given what she, or I didn't say not given, but she's truly trying to to do that but i think that in those scenes she's not as powerful as she is when she's either just with otis or she's just with spalding that's where she gets to shine a little more yeah she holds her own as a character but she's always in the shadows of these two right and that's it 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 sucks but i don't think it's as noticeable and as, as we Hopefully we'll get a change of scenery when we talk about Three from Hell when it comes to Baby. Uh, The other thing that you've got going here is this uneasy tension between the two of them because they almost have like their own Mexican standoff for a second until Baby is like, nope, you know, you guys just need to fucking stop it. (laughs) And so it's his idea to take, again, the, the face of Banjo and put it on top of Wendy so that the next day, so it's a combination of the two. They do leave her for the cleaning lady, right? Because we cut over to the next morning and housekeeping, housekeeping <laughs> comes by and goes inside, goes into the bathroom. And that's where he, she finds Jimmy and Gloria completely, you know, bloods everywhere. You have the devil's rejects up on the wall and some other things are written in blood all over the walls. She freaks out, and I love it when she comes out of the bathroom. The door is slowly closing to the unit. So it could have been doing that for a while, but it purposely seems like the door has just got to wait to make sure the maid notices what's going on. But it's a cool reaction shot of it closing and you seeing Wendy hanging from it with Banjo's face on her and the maid, like, freaking out. Oh, yeah, because you're like, man, she looks a lot like Lou Temple. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny though because like she knows that they're gone, right? Or she, do you think that she still has like that scared type of attitude that they could still be here? So she's trying to get out, even though the help is actually there. Like, should she have just stopped and like tried to remove the face rather than running out? Or is her reaction natural? I hope I never know, uh, <laughs> but I think it's one of those things, it, hysteria sets in. I mean, I can only imagine the torment of everything she's witnessed and how long she's, you know, was hung up there with that, you know, her boyfriend's face, you know, on her. But I think 
what we're led to believe is just she's gone at this point, like mentally not there, completely unstable. And so we judge it however we need to. Like, did she have a chance to get out of there alive? Absolutely. But I think that that chance was long gone by now. Well, I would say technically she does get out of there alive, right? She does survive the ordeal. She's the only survivor, but she does run into the street, like running out there. And she just get by a truck. Yeah, eight similar pancake. Oh, and that that one's pretty brutal, even for being a, a CG done, you know, digitally done kill for that. But it still is shocking. You want to know a tidbit? So in that scene when she goes out on the road, the first thing she does is she dodges a car, you know, just a normal bystander driving by, and then that's when she turns around and the eighteen wheeler hits her. You know who was driving the car? Who's that? Kane Hodder. Oh, <laughs> so geez. Kane Hodder was the stunt coordinator, and I forgot to bring this up earlier. He was actually one of the police in the gas mask. He had a cameo in the beginning with Wydell, and he he was on set, and he drove the car just to make sure that you know he didn't hit her and everything like that. But I thought it was cool to know that Kane Hodder had not only some involvement but more involvement than I knew. Well, that's really cool. I mean, there's again, there are so many people in this movie that are just icons or have been involved in the horror. Like they're again, they're Rob Zombie's favorite people in horror, and that's sure. why he's getting them to be involved in the film. Um, it, it's it's just kind of a interesting. It's an interesting scene of kind of what happens next because they do talk to the maid, right? There's the whole mm-hmm. thing of Maria, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the whole thing of he's really keeping everybody in the time because there's the whole like we're gonna talk to her and nobody knows how to talk to her. She's you know, one of those damn people just you can only speak to her in Spanish. And then we find out that Wydell actually does speak enough Spanish to at least get her to see, oh, do you recognize the people that are there? Um, and that's also where we get to meet the Unholy Two for the very first time, who's Diamond Dallas Page and Danny Trejo. Right? I get yeah. to have those ones. <laughs> you get to have those, but I'm going to throw another one at you. In this scene, uh, whenever they're cleaning up and so Wydale's talking to the other deputy that's there and he's telling mm-hmm. him to go have someone clean up the skull and brains. Yep. Um, that was Steve Railsback. Are you familiar with that actor? No, I'm not. He is amazing. I recognized him right away because he actually played Charles Manson in the old Helter Skelter movie, but he oh, okay. also played Ed Gein back in you know, the oh, early wow. 2000s when all the serial killers had their own movie. Yep. And so, yeah, he was recognizable for me. He was also in this one movie. Um, oh, I forgot. I think it's, I forgot what it's called, but it's a, you know, the 2000s when they had all the uh, teeny bopper uh, slasher movies coming out, Diamond Dozen, and uh, it was a Scarecrow one, but um, it's called Scarecrow slasher slasher movie. Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) So you, I, the introduction from the Unholy 2 is just really short, right? It's basically gives them the list of names of all the gradual characters that the, uh, the, the, what you call it, the, reviewer gave to him right to have him go yeah have him go hey check out and cross-reference these names but you really don't learn anything about them just yet you just know that they're people that he's hiring and they they definitely don't look i mean of course you're gonna look at danny trejo and you're gonna be like okay you know he's made a career of being the bad mexican dude you know and if you haven't seen inmate number one uh which is a documentary about him and how he got into uh you know the acting and what he used to do as a kid and how bad he actually was, you know, 
it's a very good and very interesting documentary to watch. Um, but he's also a guy that can't say or won't say no to a role, kind of like Vincent Price. There it is. So, perfect. That may, must be the reason why I love him, too. <laughs> so, you you have that, and then we cut back over. And this is where we've got this weirdness to this film that it's... I, I don't know exactly... How, I, I know how I want to describe it, but I'm not sure if it necessarily fits for everybody, but it kind of fits for me. It's like we have a family moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's... Let's real fast, and again, it's one of those scenes where a lot of people quote, and I've even seen t-shirts made with the slogan, but this is them traveling in the car, kind of going to Charlie's, discuss what's going on, and then they argue about getting some tutti fucking fruity. This is bullshit. You know, I trust that fucker Charlie about as much as I trust you. Where the hell do you get all fucking shit about Charlie? Hey, I know what I know, and I know I don't like that nutsack. Well, unless you got a better suggestion, I suggest you keep your fucking pie holes shut. That is the only remotely safe place I know about. Uh, hey man, if anyone's interested, I think I'm going to be wanting some ice cream in about ten miles. Hey man, I think I'm going to be wanting some ice cream in about ten miles. Don't just fucking imitate me, it's fucking rude. I know what I know, and I know I don't like that. Fuck you. Fuck you. Two fucking seconds for the kid. Is that going to kill you? Yes, it is going to kill me. I have calculated the time, and two seconds is the exact amount of time that's a hazard to my fucking health. Come on, don't be such a fucking drag. I'm starving. Hey, eat this. What is your fucking problem? I'm in and out in two seconds. You know, I think I'm going to get me some tutti fucking freebie. and of course the next scene is them eating the tutti fucking fruity it's this weird humanizing scene that you have for these characters because this is like i want to call it a family scene right where it's them being a family and just like enjoying the characters. They're just enjoying kind of life at this moment. It's really weird that they're on the run. You know, it's, it's the, I don't want to call it necessarily like the Bonnie and Clyde moment, but it kind of is in terms of this is like Bonnie and Clyde were such a big thing when they were, you know, going across the country, really doing all the things they are and, and became rock stars. And this is maybe that rock star moment for these characters in the film. Yeah, it's a way to trick the audience to, like you said, it's it's a humanizing, it's a family moment. And we start to side with the bad guys right away because even in a Rob Zombie movie, sometimes families can be nice to each other. It's still a little weird that you get to connect, I think, with these characters in this regard. Like we already had like this extremely ugly stuff that has gone on. And we just had him put the face of somebody's husband on their wife. And now we have this like funny, happy family moment. Yeah. Well, you know how it goes, man. It's like, this is like a view into their own personal little world. Like what they do is who they are on the outside. And this is who they are on the inside. You know what I mean? True. And it shows that they still are a unit, I guess. It's kind of a weird way of showing it, but it does show that they, hey, you know, there are, they're still like a dynamic and they still like love each other, even though there's all this other weird crap that's kind of going on like out everywhere else. 
and that they're doing. The whole the, time I was trying not to make a joke about you saying unit. No. Oh, well, <laughs> especially one that's family unit. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. That is bad. <laughs> so from here we see, we go back to Wydell. And now Wydell is going into the flyer, the flyer fi, uh, the firefly estate. And he basically is, this is one of the few scenes that are at night in this film. And it's really weird because it leads up to him actually running into his brother in the basement of the whole, uh, you know, house. George. What the hell are you doing down here, George? I live here now. got that all wrong, George. I mean, this ain't your home. I got no choice, Johnny. This here is my fate. I cannot rest until this whole thing is over. And I'm asking you, brother. Kill him, John. End this shit now. I'm, I'm, I'm walking the line on this, brother. I'm, I'm walking the line. Well, Mother Pin arose on me that is so great. <laughs> I want these motherfuckers dead. Kill them! And it's only a dream, you know, that he has. And this is, again, his next step towards the whole transformation that he's going to have. And that was a seed that was planted by Mama Fire- Firefly. I mean, it's not anything else than he's not, he's letting the, that side of him completely take over and it, it's it's a well shot scene because he's going through it's like you think that he's going there to see if he can find more stuff find more information what can help him but no it's just like an awakening inside of him instead it is it's in fact what's gonna hurt him the most and I remember when I saw this, I, I was like, what, what the hell is happening? Like he died in the first one, what's going on? And then for it to stand out as being the motivation of what makes him kind of be that over the top vigilante in this movie, it always starts with the heart. Right. And I just thought it was a cool way to get uh, Tom back in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird though, because his character in the first one wasn't anything like what he's here. It it really is Wydell putting his brother into that role even though in the first one he was you know the older Wydell George Wydell was you know kind of kind and caring and aloof to what was going on and and again if they had all these like mugshots of these people and they've been in trouble with the law before you would know that you're going into a place where there are criminals like it's weird Right. But again, this is the where it's I feel it's that it's not necessarily connected. It's not necessarily like it's him saying that, oh, yeah, this is just a another movie using these characters. Like we're not necessarily need to go into depth and explain that, you know, the brother wouldn't have figured it out that, oh, this this is a bad guy place. You know? Right. Well, you know, we, we talked about earlier how Mother Firefly had the track record of all the things she's done. And hey, those are her mugshots for prostitution. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Hers makes sense. What about the other guys? <laughs> oh, what did you Baby know, do? Candy store robbery. Oh, going into pussy liquor uh, underage. Is that, <laughs> that her thing? It should never put those together. <laughs> I want to get fucked up too. <laughs> do fucked up shit. <laughs> so 
from here, we then follow Wydell, and he's back at the jail, and he's going to meet Mama Firefly. And we probably get the final, like, he's finally the caterpillar that's coming out of the cocoon, but he's not turning into a butterfly. He's turning into a vampirous moth. Take that, Alfredi. I'll wash prison. Well, well, well. Working late tonight, on we sure. What's the matter? Can't sleep. Hell running loose in the streets. But you just miss Mama. As a matter of fact, I was feeling kind of lonely. <laughs> I, I knew you couldn't stay away. I got the power of a man. Women like me are a rare breed. Don't you agree? Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I ain't been broken, you know. Been like that. Ooh, you got me going this afternoon. You think you can break me? You're looking rough. Oh, honey. You can have it any way you want. I don't want it rough. He does stab and kill Mama Firefly, and I like the reaction that she gives when she gets stabbed. And he tells her, "Do you like it?" And she's like, "Yeah." It's it's creepy, and at the same time, it's not. I think the fact that she's getting stabbed, it's the fact that he's you know chasing the ghosts that are going to lead to his downfall. Yeah, yeah, she's realizing that he's taking the bait, so to speak. But it's such a cool scene because this was another part I was talking about earlier where Rob was pitching to her to no matter what he does, just keep flirting with him. And so here he is, uh, you know, threatening her and she's just taunting him with her tongue and licking her fingers and rolling her eyes at him. And he picks her up and he slams her against the wall and we don't exactly see, but we get the idea of what he's really doing with that knife. And when he stabs her with it, you see her eyes widen and she even shakes her head. Like, no, like it's not what I um, expected you to do. And then, yeah, like when you said he starts to drag it up and he's talking to her, she kind of lets out a little bit of that, but this is what I expected. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, I don't want to be stabbed with that type of moment. I was expecting a different type of stabbing. <laughs> I guess she's broken now. Yeah. It's just crazy, that just the way that he approaches the whole thing. And the fact that from here on out, like, he's not followed by any of the other cops that are out there. Because it's still a couple more days that we've got left technically. I'm not sure exactly the length of time. Again, we don't know how far away Charlie's is, right? Is it, you know, on the other side of the state? Cause this again is all taking place in Texas, right? 
because the House of Thousand Corpses took place there. Where in Texas is it taking place? Who knows? Maybe he's going, they're going from like El Paso to Galveston or something like that, you know, and it's quite a ways away. It's across the state and they just don't have the chance to, you know, follow him out there or, or catch up to him in time. But from where, like where they go and how they go next and the time that they do, it just seems like it's like they, somebody would have caught up to Wydell by then. Maybe they don't want to call him out. I mean, they see this dark side in him. Maybe they see it as some sort of vigilante justice. Yeah, it could be. They could be in such a backwater area that it's just like, you know what? That's how we handle things around here. Don't we just let know. people stab. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. They're terrible people. They killed a bunch of people. Well, they, they killed a sheriff, right? They killed another one, the other Wydell. And then they killed, you know, the. they don't even talk about the the two girls and, you know, two guys that they killed from the previous movie. At one point they do, but we're not there yet. Ah, true. So from here we go over and we, now we see that the Firefly clan, now they are arriving at Charlie's. They've gotten there. They're in fun town and who boy, is it a fun town, fun town with, uh, I guess all the prostitutes <laughs> that what we're just looking <laughs> for fun town fuck town that's that's all it really is <laughs> no midgets yeah. named pedro what yeah i know that's not a fun town it's not a fun town if there isn't a midget <laughs> but nonetheless they pull up and they run into charlie and charlie gives them the old psych out i know that ain't cutter walking towards me with that stupid grit because i know i swore if i ever saw that dumb cunt no good piece of shit motherfucking brother mine. He'd soon be a dead piece of shit. No good motherfucking brother mine. Okay, everybody in the peanut gallery. Simon says hands up. He said put your fucking hands up. What the fuck is this shit? Bring us all the way out here and this prick pulls a gun on us? Nice fucking plan, Daisy. Just do it. It's your crazy pig fucking son. What you call me? Well, if you give me a chance, I was going to call you a crazy pig fucking dumbass pussy piece of shit. Oh, brother, he's a dead man. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't got the most goddamn feelings for the gun you ever did see. I'm I'm sorry about that. It's just a little game we used to always play on, folks. And it still works. That's a fucking (laughs) hoot. He's my daughter, baby. My niece? Yes. Ooh, you all grown up. You're so rough, baby. (laughs) You remember Happy Boy, yeah? Are you still an asshole? (laughs) Hey, this is Casey, my most limber lady. And this is Candy, my special lady and my top-earning gal. What are you looking at? I'm looking at you, Mama. Yeah, you see something you like? <laughs> Maybe. I set my standards pretty low, so I'm never disappointed. Oh, well, I don't disappoint. Ooh. Hey, what's up? Let's go inside. No sis standing around like, Stonefoot Roosters in a fuck <laughs> 
What exactly is a stone foot rooster in a fuck farm? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they seem to like have, it's like the saying that they say, right? That they say it both at the same time. Like it's a common thing. Uh, if anybody knows, yeah, I would say if anybody knows, why don't you shoot us a DM or uh, tag us in something if you know exactly what that means. If it <laughs> no is images. a common thing. Yeah, please. <laughs> please, no images. So it's it's kind of a a fun reunion, you know, to start off the whole thing because they show up and he points a gun at them and, and kind of like what you think like criminals would do to each other, right? That weren't like, you know, if there was some beef at some time or something else was going on that was weird. And here you are. It's just, eh, we're here. I'm going to play a trick on you. I'm going to hit you with a water gun and we're all makes cool. You, makes you wonder how many times Spalding has been through this routine before he's got it down pat. And I... I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what was happening when I first saw it, but I love oh, yeah. the reaction that Spalding gives on Cutter, you know, right away. He's like, well, if you give me a chance, what I was going to say, and I just see that as exactly his character. Oh, yeah. He's like, he pretty much, I'm going to call you a fuck face to your face. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to hide anything there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you just let me finish, let me finish. He was mad because he finish. got interrupted. Yeah. If you'd let me finish, I was going to say you're a pig fucker. What? <laughs> oh. It's better being a chicken fucker, huh? That's true. Uh, but it's, you know, and then you have, like, the most limber girl, but she's got a giant fucking stogie that she's smoking. And, like, I'd be like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the blonde one, too. <laughs> yeah, she sounds like Tommy Pickles. I'm in. Wait, what? Yeah, what? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a little bit too much information for me. Um, <laughs> well, you didn't grow up as a Nickelodeon kid? Come on. No. I was the Disney afternoon kid. Oh, that explains and, it. And then I was the WB afternoon kid after Disney afternoon kind of went away. So got my Animaniacs on, got my pinky and the brain on. Oh, yeah. That's that's where we're going with these things. I'm actually happy that's coming back to Hulu. Maybe around the time that this gets released. Maybe it's November. So, yeah. But nonetheless, it's it's all... You know, I really wanted to grab the audio from the next sequence, but I chose not to. And the main reason I chose not to was because it's split up between partying and Wydell, right? And uh, while I, I do really love it, it's just too long or I'd have to cut it too awkwardly to make it work. But I do really like the scene that happens because you see the determination that he's got because he really does go back to the Firefly Farm sit in that same spot where his brother, he saw his brother and basically does like a, um, a Willem Dafoe Spider-Man thing where he's looking in the mirror, talking to himself and ends up smashing the mirror. And it's, it is a powerful scene if that was the full scene, but it's, it's made partially powerful, more powerful because you get the, like, look how wild and carefree these guys are. Uh, Oda's fucking around with the, you know, the prostitute and them drinking and doing drugs and do all this other stuff. They're partying because they think that they're free. And meanwhile, you got Wydell just preparing himself to be that bad motherfucker. And this is the last bit that he needs to change because really when he smashes that mirror, that's it. Now he's in fucking vigilante mode. It's yeah, it's some sort of symbolism, too, of like, because like you said, the way he's talking to his reflection, it's like the reflection is his innocent side, right? Mm -hmm. And then he smashes it, and it's like no more Mr. Mr. Nice Guy, essentially. 
Yeah, that's right. Alice Cooper starts playing in the background. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> no more, Mr. Nice Guy. Mm, 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 no mm. more, Mr. Squeaky Queen. <laughs> Who cares about the rest of the podcast? Keep going. <laughs> let's, just, let's just go. Let's get some more Alice Cooper going on in here. Uh, and so after they're done partying and he's now on the move, he's going to where he needs to go. We go to the morning and <laughs> this is, see, I know there's going to be some, I don't want to say there's going to be controversy, but it's like, why didn't you include the Wydell scene? Because you included the scene with the chicken fucker. Oh, yeah. Slaughter, must Mother Marlon. Levi. Yeah, boss. You know why I come here to get these chickens? No, boss. Because my brother makes the best fried chicken in the world. Is that right? Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, sir. How are you? How y'all doing? Good morning. Good, good, good. What you got for me? Well, we got these uh, real cute bar rock chickens here. Yeah, I see you. We got them nice, long-legged, roll out of red chickens. Rhode Island Red? Yeah. Them oh, nice. I like them. I want a Rhode Island Red for me, all right? Yeah, Two Rhode Island Red, too? Yeah, yeah. Now, y'all ain't planning on fucking these chickens, are you? What the fuck are you getting at? Do you fuck chickens? <laughs> well, I have thought about fucking some chickens before. Huh? If you want to have a good time and you need some pussy, you can cut that chicken's head off, stick your dick in that ass of that chicken, and that damn chicken will go crazy on your ass and go... Are you saying that I would cut off a chicken's head, put my dick in it, fuck it, and go, ah, you accusing me of fucking a chicken, motherfucker? No, I ain't, I ain't calling you a chicken fucker, but over there looks sex, sexually frustrated, and I don't approve of chicken fucking. Uh, <laughs> you and he called me false. I ain't not fucking chicken. I'm going to stop the jacket and grab the fucking chickens, Clevon. I'll get the chicken. Yeah, fuck. Appreciate it. Thank y'all. He's a chicken. That's all right. Put it back there. Next time we go someplace else. We ain't never buy chickens from him again, boss. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, this is just a fun <laughs> fucking scene. Like, again, it's a little, it may seem like a little superfluous, but it's kind of a comedic edge that you need as we get towards the rest of the movie. I feel you have this nice little lighthearted scene. You show exactly how backward, like, water's area that they are at. Um, the the guy, you know, saying that Cleavon looks like a chicken fucker, <laughs> but this guy looks like more of a chicken fucker than he is. And I don't know how the chicken's gonna go when its head's been. Yeah, I was like, is it just guttural through the the throat? I I just love the fact that we plug a little bit of House of a Thousand of his fried chicken at the gas station. He's like, my brother makes the best fried chicken. I'm just like, oh, I love it. Oh no, it's great. And then it's like, you know, he did his whole thing in the beginning. Don't forget your fried chicken when he sends off, you know, Hardwick and the rest of the gang on their way. Mm-hmm. But and then here it comes back full circle that really he does make some goddamn good fried chicken. So I guess that's one thing that you you have to rely on Spalding on. And he has to get those Rhode Island reds. Mm. Mm. I have no idea what those how those are different. I don't know what the colonel uses, but this was the addicting chemicals and spices that he got that got you going. Uh, if you don't eat them, you can always fuck them. No, no. Not fucking fried chicken. I'll tell you that right now. Fucking fried chicken. <laughs> it's got poultry guys written all over it. 
<laughs> that sure does. We'll, we'll leave that movie up to, uh, you know, Uncle Lloyd. <laughs> so we we have this like little break in kind of the, the tension from everything. We had the, the very serious scene with Wydell. Now we've got this little thing. And then, of course, Wydell shows up to threaten good old Charlie. What, Jay Flywheel? Get your motherfucking pimp ass over here now. Who are you talking about, man? Who are you talking to? Who? What's going on, Sheriff? <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> What's going on, baby? <laughs> you and me, we're going to have a little powwow about a certain Captain Spaulding and his merry band of assholes. Captain who? You know exactly what I'm talking about, am I correct? Hey, Chef. We out in the middle of the street. Ain't no sense of getting crazy out here. See, I don't like no motherfuckers playing dumb with me. Now, let me tell you the way it's gonna go down. You're gonna make sure all three of them dirt bags are present in the county for tonight at midnight. You got me, Charlie boy. You understand me? Charlie! You got me? Wonder if I say no. And I don't want to shoot your ass right fucking here and now. You and that other ugly motherfucker. And I'm going to forget this conversation ever happened. Tonight, midnight. It's a bad day to fuck with me, Charlie boy. So he basically is threatening him and forcing him to give up the Firefly family here. Right. And it's kind of a interesting situation because, you know, earlier on, you had Rondo, who's Danny Trejo's character, had called Wydell to tell him basically that he's, you know, there's a guy that he used to know who happens to be Charlie that used one of the aliases. And he knew a guy, Captain Spaulding, that was the other alias. And that's how they tied everything back together. Right. And so they're here in the area and now they're getting ready to basically force Charlie to give up his brother. And it's interesting too, to see which direction it's going to go, because you can see instantly that it's not something that he wants to do. And it just makes you wonder, is he going to be willing to do it? Yeah. And it's weird too, because even when he's talking there, he has like the break and like when he's like trying to talk to him, he's like, well, we can't really do this out in the open. Right. Like he's, kind of going to talk to him because he knows that he's going to be forced to talk to him, but he doesn't want to do that right here because that could ruin his reputation with the other people around there of maybe being a snitch and then he might get stitched. True. Yeah. I didn't think of that. So it, it, but it could be either way. It could be that he's still trying to play ignorant be like, I don't know. I don't really want, we can talk about this. I kind of know the guy, but I don't want to say it out in the open. But it ain't forced because his hand gets fucking crushed inside the the door, which is very painful to watch. And it actually happened, too. Um, Apparently, uh, Ken Forey just took it like a champ. And then when the scene was over, his hand was crushed in that door. Oh. Yeah. Well, he's still got his pimp cane strong, so. Method acting uh, minus the acting. (laughs) (laughs) So after this scene is, is done, then we actually get to go and spend a little bit of time with the Unholy Two. Right, we get to see Billy Ray flipping his burgers, 
and we get to see Rondo, and we actually get to hear a little more from them as they plan out their attack for later that night. Hey, we got you this far. <laughs> Without us, you'd still be swimming around with your head up your ass. <laughs> hey, gee, don't sweat it. Have a beer. It's all going to work out to your satisfaction. If I were you, I'd put the beer down and keep your mind on business. Full business jumps up and bites you right in the ass. Don't worry about me, boss. You don't think goddamn King Kong came down from Skull Island and raped them and you fucking asshole. <laughs> hey, man, don't give me none of that cocky ass, yard bird, pumping iron on the baddest motherfucker that ever lived horse shit. I might work on some Johnny Redneck bail jumper. But that don't mean shit to me. And I suggest you pick up the back phone and call some new motherfuckers in. Dime a dozen, man. Fuck you. Fuck me? Yeah. Fuck you, motherfucker. Hey, hey, hold it, hold it, hold it. We gotta cool our shit here. Look, you hired the unholy two because you wanted the best money could buy. Now you got nothing to worry about. We're gonna get the job done. Might talk a lot of shit, but we will get the job done. Here's the deal. I don't give a good goddamn what condition they're in. I just want them alive long enough so I can piss in their face before they die. <laughs> you are one sick fucking pirate. Hey, Billy Ray, your mama's on the phone. Hey, hey she owes me 14 bucks. Get, get down here. Come on. Move. Better keep a rope on that asshole. Yeah, now, now look, Jake, let me explain something to you. You've been using a bazooka to exterminate three little roaches. Now, when you hunt roaches, you don't blow up your house. You send in an exterminator. So he can, he crawls like a roach. He thinks like a roach. He has a little roach hey. mind. Be careful. Or maybe you get stepped on like a roach. I, I just love the way that everybody is in this scene. You know, Dallas Page is, he does a good job of, he, I mean, he's honestly, from what we get from the next scene, he's not playing machismo. They are the real fucking deal. Like, yeah. they're the only ones that can deal with these guys and give them a good enough drop so that you, you can actually get somewhere. You know, you're not just going to, you know, he wants to, beat them so bad like you can do whatever you want as long as i can piss in their fucking faces like it's ridiculous but he still is not getting them at that point he's still just kind of getting them at you know oh you're kind of beat up and you can kind of get away from these things but that that's a little later on uh it's it's a, a good scene just to understand the way that the unholy two think and i really do like danny Trejo rondo's like statement of you know, you're, it's like you're using a bazooka to take out three roaches. You're going to blow up your fucking home, you know, by using us. It's overkill. And then, you know, of course, he says, you got to watch out or else you're going to be stomped like a roach. It's funny to hear. <laughs> Just, I try not to laugh hard when the clip's playing, but, like, he's like, you, you got to have a little roach mind. And in the scene, he, I know he's using gestures with his hands. Like, he's really getting into it. And I'm just like, Danny Trejo, man, is crazy. But I love the kind of just seeing these guys out of their element at home right and like he's diamond Dallas page is over there snapper right he's grilling burgers and they got leonard skinner playing and they're like in this trailer park area and it just it perfectly sets up the idea that these are just two no good possible jailbirds right that are just make killing and, and no good doing for a living uh so much so that they gotta worry about 14 bucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> your mama's on the phone 
She owes me fourteen bucks. Fourteen bucks in, in you know nineteen seventy eight though that's a lot more. That's so. definitely a lot more money than fourteen bucks a day because that'll maybe buy you a you know a grande Starbucks at some uh, coffee restaurant. <laughs> but beer. Oh yeah, or you know beer at a bar, or you know a monster in Vegas. There it is. <laughs> now we're talking. So they now go and we it's night once again. So. Again, this is also kind of the difference between the two sets between our, you know, antagonists, the Firefly family, and then now our other antagonists, the Wydell group, because they attack at night, whereas the Firefly family does everything out in the open during the day. So it's a, it's a great little scene that we get to have to see how they work differently. But again, like I said, it shows that they are the real deal. The unholy two just go in there and quiet and just take people out. There is that nice little scene right before everything goes down where you got Charlie and you got Spalding kind of reminiscing with each other for a little bit. And then I do like the fact he says that, you know, don't do all my cocaine. You got a big ass nose. And then he goes back and he takes the cocaine. He's like, you do have a big ass nose. <laughs> well, he's like, you got a nose like a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> Makes like, me I think- love- but I love my cocaine more. But it makes me think of heavy metal and and the scene with the, the when the guys are doing the giant lines and their noses turn to like vacuums and shit and start Perfect. snorting up all the fucking cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the way you, you see Spalding. But you know, after and then he leaves because he knows the shit's going down. But then they manage to kill both of his whores, and it's just like, why? Bad for business. Can't do that. Yeah. screws Charlie over, man. Yeah. You don't go in there and just kill the random people. Just get the people that he needs. Do you think that those people are actually going to like do anything about it? They're not going to go back and be like, oh, well, you know, I guess I'm going to turn them in. Why? Right. You know, you're a prostitute. You're not going to do these type of things. You know, it's fodder for the film. We have some more death scenes. But I got to say, the one that Rondo do- does, I absolutely love because he sneaks up behind the uh, most flexible girl and he he comes out of the shadow. He slits her throat and he catches her beer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. And she and, falls down. I'm and I pretty, think he, he drinks her beer too, yeah. <laughs> He's just having a good old time doing what he does. Yeah. And and again, like you, you hear them, they get pumped them up and, you know, Wydell is like basically say, don't make yourselves bigger than you actually are. And then they're truly as big as they actually say, because there is no problem. They, they Even when, uh, you know, Otis wakes up and Otis out of the three of them is probably the most like, I, I wouldn't say badass, but definitely the most deft in terms of handling a firearm and fighting for himself. He's scrappy, right? So he can get out of situations and he loses right away to Billy Ray. Oh, yeah, man, that scene, you know, he kills the prostitute, Candy's done, and he chunks him right out the window. Oh, yeah. And it's like nothing, nothing at all. Small tidbit about that scene is a one take stuntman. You know what he did? What's that? He just ran and jumped out the damn window. No padding, (laughs) no nothing. The guy nailed the flip perfectly and just threw himself out there and landed on that wooden dock, just like we see in the movie. And yeah, I don't know what kind of condition he was in after that, but a one-take scene, at least it works the way it does. And I love the way that Rob Zombie does this because the one thing we forgot to say was this whole scene was shot where it's a – what's the – I said the term earlier, a monologue. Um, 
basically the music montage. That's what it's a whole oh. montage of all these people getting killed and the music's just playing. And again, we've been tricked now because we see somebody badder than what they are and we're feeling sorry for them. Yep. It's a montage. Montage. It's the 70s, not the 80s. <laughs> Everybody gets killed in a montage. Montage. <laughs> but yeah, so then you see Wydell. He walks into the bar area and we see in the entire time that everybody's being killed and stuff like that, we see you know, Spalding taking drags off of a joint that he lit earlier. And so the slow pull and the slow release while everybody is just getting beat to crap and being killed. And he's like in his own world because he's high as fuck. And that's when, you know, he allows uh, Wydell to come up basically from behind him, uh, take a drink, and then, you know, uh, well, gives him a bitchin'. <laughs> Charlie, my brother, my brother. I've been looking for you, clown. <laughs> you gonna start to kill him? started right here make sure I'm all the way dead and I'll come back and make you my bitch <laughs> bitch that motherfucker I love that little line at the end bitch that motherfucker but he shoots him just in the leg because he doesn't want to opposite. kill him yeah and it's opposite of what the other guys do like Firefly family is not quick to do that right they string things out like i know he's stringing yep. out the process of torturing them but i mean this guy's not playing games no he, he wants what he wants and he wants to get them in a state where he can just grab them and then take them back now he here's where i believe he makes his biggest mistake is that he could have still had the unholy two go with him right right watch the outside of the compound make sure that everything's okay but no, he thinks that he's got them in the perfect place. He thinks that now that he's got them in the house, he's got them all tied up, and he can do whatever the hell he wants because he's the one in control. But he's not the one in control, you know? Makes you wonder uh, what happened to these two because we don't see them for the rest of the movie. I guess they just kind of stayed and hung out at Charlie's. Yeah. Finished off some of that cocaine. Possibly, or they just took their money and ran. You yeah, because he, you know... He's collected now. His mom owes him money. You know, Wydell owes him some money. He's going to be living large. Now, it makes me wonder, Did they, were they smart and got the money up front and then did the job? Or were they were waiting for Wydell to finish what he was doing and then they were going to get paid? Because hopefully it wasn't the latter. Right. Otherwise, they probably would have followed him. So. Yeah, they probably would have gone until they got the money. So, like we said, they take him back to the house and that's where he begins his torture session with the Firefly family. Oh, I got to thank you all for helping me to understand what my heritage is. You see the Waddells, they've always been vigilante justice. Hell, my granddaddy, he rode with the likes of Tom Horn, killing scum like you for a living. They've always been devil slayers. Wake up! See, I tried. 
to walk the line. But now I realize there is no line. Are we here? We are playing on a level that most will never see. I know my brother George, he didn't see it. Maybe he had a divine moment when his brains hit the floor. Yeah, well, maybe you will too. I got over here some photographs of every missing person within a hundred miles of this shithole. Valerie Green. Take a look at that, man. She was beautiful, huh? If anybody fuck her. This is what she looked like when we pulled her out of your little fucking torture shack. She ain't so fuckable anymore, huh? Oh, yeah, she is. <laughs> well, then you get to have this as a souvenir. So he starts stapling the, you know, the picture to Otis. And then there's another picture that gets pulled up. And it's claimed by uh, Baby, but... You know, Spalding doesn't want her to get hurt in any way. He tries to take it. No, she's no, it's mine. It's mine. It's like, shut up, stupid. Just let me fucking take it. <laughs> right. Well, and you know what's so crazy about that scene is that picture is Mary Knowles from the first one who Baby did kill. That was the yeah. run rabbit run girl. And yeah, she wants to own up to that, Brian. She's like, that was mine. <laughs> yeah. She's proud of it. She's like, yeah. yeah, of course I did it. And I love that the the thing is with the girl, look at this girl. She's fuckable, isn't she? Ain't fuckable no more. And then Otis is like, ah, she's still pretty fuckable. I love it. <laughs> He's fucked up, man. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I like what you call out about Spalding trying to take it for baby too. And throughout this scene, whenever each one are getting stapled, you can see the pain on Spalding's face. Uh, just kind of that sentimental moment that it's hurting him just to hear his kids potentially uh, being tortured. Yeah. And it's, it honestly, it's, it's a lot more, well, some would say it's what they deserve, right? right. What he's doing. And especially like, and he talks about, this is my heritage which is really weird because I don't know if that's actually his heritage or it's just his mind has gotten so fucked up that it's more, it's not his heritage. That's the revenge that he needs. Right. He's going to believe whatever he needs to believe to get the job done. Right. And so this is, he's allowed the, the ghosts of his past quite literally to shape what he's doing right now. And so he continues on and he gets to the point that he shows them he, the pictures that Mama Flyerfly gave of his brother George. That's my brother George. Oh, George, he was a good man. Very trusting. I'm sure that's what got him killed. Anyway, y'all take a good look at that. Because that's the reason you're going to die tonight. Yeah. I remember stupid fuck just like you come at me like some kind of matinee fucking cowboy item <laughs> all I had to do was point him in a direction and there he goes officer why fucking Dell to the rescue and he, he also does make sure to mention that he also killed their mama because he gives them the new photos as well of her death so when did he get a chance to take those photos is what I'm wondering. Right. That was definitely an off-camera scene. And I love that it affects Baby the most. Like, he shows them to her, and she breaks down. Well, and he uses her line, too. She thought you were an angel. Yeah. You know? That, 
that is just kind of goes to show that he did have that interaction with her. Yeah, exactly. Cause she, that was the first thing that you heard from her in the beginning of the movie. Did I tell you when you were born, you were an angel. Mm-hmm. So, and it's quite, I, I like that Spalding is kind of taking, you know, uh, he's, he's taking the, the blame, I guess you could say for his brother's death because he's like, well, I'm the one that sent him to the house. Right. right. He came in and he tried to act all macho. He tried to be all gung ho about everything. And so I just, you know, he wants to be the hero. Here you go. And he got fucked up. Yeah, he did. So here he basically tortured. Now this scene, I, if this is the scene that I think they're talking about, this one is, was, it took about two to three hours to film. And I think that Cherry Moon Zombie said it was the hardest one for her to film. Right. Because yeah, she was supposed the- to start crying. Yep. And so she, and, and it seems like it's a pretty intense scene, but at the same time, you got to like, in the back of my mind, you, you shouldn't be like, you shouldn't be so stressed out about being the bad guy being tortured. Right. You know? Like, it, I understand it's going to take a lot out of you, and I, I bet you, you know, you're putting this thing because you're the one that's getting tortured and you're getting reprimanded, and maybe it's making you think of everything that you did, but at the same time, it wouldn't really feel that way to baby. It's more about self-preservation than remorse for what she did. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it goes to show that, you know, the actors, when they put themselves in this position, like, it may take them a while to snap into character, but I think equally it takes them a while to snap out of character, and it just shows to be exhausting. Oh, yeah, and I think she took a couple days off after she did the scene as well, just to kind of regain her composure. I mean, it, people, you know, I know people, a lot of people give actors crap for what they do, but they do put themselves through a lot to get the, the response that people are expecting out of them when they're in a scene similar to this. It's maybe not as intense as somebody that's putting their life on the line every day, but it still can take a toll on somebody's body to do scenes that are intense as this. For sure. And I know, some folks who may not be familiar with Rob and Sherry and the things that they do, they're amazing people in real life. And the horror is definitely driven mostly by what Rob Zombie does. She's actually not a huge fan of all the gore and the intense things. And so it's, it takes a toll on her, like not only physically, but mentally and emotionally, just like she talked about when she did house of a thousand, like it was hard for her to kill in those death scenes. And now you have her in this movie, which I guess she gets over by three from hell, but you can just see that she puts herself in a position mentally that she doesn't really want to be in. Yeah. And it, it really, I think is exacerbated by what happens next because when we finally get to it, we see that he's going to be releasing baby, right? And letting her supposedly go free. Uh, and he does use kind of the line, the run rabbit line on her as well, yeah, which I love that there's the callback for that, for what she did to the girls. It's like he knew that she did that before she killed the girl, even though she had, he had no clue that that's exactly what happened, right? But putting her on the same, and then he began setting fire to the house, throwing gasoline everywhere, and then he goes full on fucking, you know, Johnny and starts <laughs> with his axe and following, going full shining here and following after. He even has like the limp like walk that Jack Nicholson did as he's like beginning to chase after 
uh, you know, baby with the, the hatchet that he has. Right. And I found it to be interesting that earlier when we saw his office, um, he's obviously a hunter, right? There was taxidermy mm-hmm. all over. And now like the biggest thing is hunting the human, right? So it, it's finally coming full circle for him. Yeah. And so he chases after her and eventually she escapes to one part of the farm. And then who shows up? None other than Charlie. And Charlie is supposedly there to save everybody because he didn't truly want to turn his back on his brother. But I feel like there's like a revenge thing of you killed my girls. So now I'm going to fuck you up. Yep. Right. It's not all for like, he's kind of telling her that, Hey, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm here for you guys, but I feel that there's a little bit of, well, and it's because they killed my prostitutes. Yeah, and I also find it interesting that, again, at this time period, right, he must have been to that house before. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Charlie's been over there. It makes me wonder, like, how many of these murders has he – like, we've seen this cool side of him. You know, I do air quotes, cool, smooth, whatever. He, where he, Charlie's not out there killing anybody, right? He's just doing his thing. And then, But if he's frequently coming over here, he's eating the chicken with Captain Spaulding. He's mm-hmm. involved with this family. It just makes you wonder, there was no pictures of him in the scrapbook. Yeah. Like, what did he do? Like, right. how how far in depth is he with the family? Yeah, well, I guess as we get into it, we'll see if we learn that or not. Well, the only thing that we see is that he tries to put her in the car, and then he takes the hatchet to the neck. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the end of Charlie. And Wydell goes and basically busts out the window, forces her out of the car, she starts running away again, and this time he takes out his gun, and he shoots her, like, right in the ankle, right? Yeah, it's it's terrible, right? And they, like, Achilles tendon, like, she drops down. Yeah, and that's where... Now, you remember what Otis said earlier in the film when he was saying what they always say to people. Well, uh, that spells doom for Wydell. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I got something. Hey, get up! You know, I don't know about you, but I sure wish I had a bull whip for this occasion, but I found this. I reckon it'll do. You like that? You like the feeling of being helpless? At the mercy of some autistic who makes you dead? That's the fucking party, is it? That makes you feel proud? Fuck you! Fuck you! And then who would come out of the middle of nowhere but fucking Tiny? Fucking Tiny. Tiny fucked a stump. Man, it's weird because, like, even in the first one, the, you never heard of him actually killing anybody. And he seemed like he was kind of the most gentle kind out of all of them because he got trapped in the fire, right? But mm-hmm. here he just grabs Wydell off of Baby and snaps his neck. Well, let's not discard the opening of the movie where he's dragging a dead naked woman so i mean that's true something to him uh but yeah he's a force to be reckoned with this giant man picks him up and i know this is a term that gets used lightly but he snaps his neck like a twig it's nothing for him yeah he just straight up (laughs) without any power kills him right away just huh okay you're you're done and then he it's the one thing he didn't think about was, you know, he, there's all the members of the Firefly family, but the one always gets left behind. 
Well, and it's everybody in the the movie is or the theater. I remember sitting there and was thinking halfway through. I'm like, what happened to Tiny? Like we saw him at the beginning. Did he get caught? Did he get shot? Did a Doctor Satan thing happen to him where he's not there anymore? And they just totally forgot about Tiny. They were just using him in the beginning. Nope. Here he comes to save the day, like fucking Mighty Mouse, and just snaps you know Wydell's life away. (laughs) And then he goes back in and he rescues uh, you know. Balding and Otis right. pulls him out of the fire, and it, it it sucks because you know Otis is trying to get out because he has his hands like nailed, and that scene is pretty fucking intense when he's basically nailing Otis to the chair, you know. Uh, and he you look at one point like he was trying to get and gnaw with, with his, his hand with his teeth yeah. and just like pull it out, but he's unable to, and he can't get Spalding awake enough so that he can go over there and help him pull it out. Right. Isn't it ironic, though, with the Don't you think? <laughs> beginning of the movie when he's going and doing the scene where they're digging out the guns and he does the whole God thing. And here he is, like, crucified in that chair with nails through his hands. Yeah. It's irony will get you. And again, he says they always say, fuck you, you know, and that's when that's basically when they're going to die. And that's what happens exactly with Wydell as well. You know, and who knows if uh, Baby, you know, said it because she saw Tiny back there, too. It's a possibility. I mean, he'd be a hard person to miss. True. So he, you know, he gets everybody out of the house. And then we we see them all in the car. And then Tiny is going to go back in. Now, I'm, I'm not doing the whole thing here. Like, I'm not playing the whole thing. I want to play the little bit of dialogue. And then what truly is the ending? Only some of it. But we're going to come back and talk about like what I consider one of the most perfect endings for a film uh, that there is. So just enjoy a little bit of this and some Freebird, and we'll be right back to discuss the end. Sure about this. Come back for
as everybody knows, what happens here at the end, one tiny dies, right? There's he's like, We'll be back for you. No, you won't. He goes in the burning house and fucking burns to death once again. Sucks. Why does Tiny need to fucking die? He doesn't need to fucking die. Like I that that part I don't like. I don't know why he would even go back into the house. So when I watched this movie with some of the commentary, Rob kind of talked about not knowing what to do with the tiny character because they've kind of set the example or the mood that he wouldn't make it on the run, right? Like traveling is just not an option for him. Right. And it's almost like self-sacrifice. Like he knows that he's going to die. He knows he's not going to see them no more. So he just walks back into the house knowing that it's going to blow up. And for me, it's also hard to digest because I like the character. And I know here we are talking about liking a bad guy. But again, he's that decent nature one of the family as far as we know. And yeah. uh, hey, he could have found that dead girl. We don't know. You know, <laughs> he's bringing well, her he, to the safety. Maybe he's just cleaning up their mess. Like that's what he does. They kill and then he's the one that has to he disposes of the bodies because, you know, and, and maybe he goes and he buries them in a, yeah. a cemetery somewhere. And actually gives them, you know, the rest that they need in a proper way, even though they were horribly murdered by his family. Like, they're still family, but I want to make sure things are done right. Who knows? He he really does seem, because, you know, he lets What's-Her-Name from the first film, uh, lets her go. Right. You know, basically. And, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, like, he, he's doing what he can and what he believes is right. And he's not a, a bad seed necessarily. But it just, like, I think that he didn't necessarily need to go on the run, but he managed to hide for this long, however True. the whole thing was going for, and then just to be brought back to be the savior to kill himself. It's just right. kind of like, uh. And it then is. You, you've got the, the ending, the ending, ending of the film, right? Which is just, it's just beautiful. Like, it's perfect for this film, right? You have them, they're in the car, and it's, the free bird is playing, and it's perfectly synced with you think that they're got they've got away, and that's all the, the 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 lyrics and everything that you've got. But when they finally start coming over the hill, like you think this is almost like it's it's basically a Bonnie and Clyde ending, right? And it, it's like I know that he didn't think that he was going to do another film, right? And this is just a way for him to give an, an appropriate ending for these characters, like. Hey, even though you may have connected to these characters, they're still bad guys and they still got theirs, right? So there's only one way to deal with these types of characters and it's to have them go out in a blaze of glory, which I don't know how they got all the weapons that they had in the car because I don't remember seeing them in the car, but they managed to get like the shotgun and and the other guns and everything else. And then they just get, you know, it's open fire, open season on the Firefly family from all the cops there. And they, are just shot to death. Right. And since Wydell is out of the picture, you can tell that all the cops now are being led by Dobson, the uh, kind of seventies boogie nights looking cop. (laughs) We didn't talk much about the yellow shades and I'm with you, man. I remember getting goosebumps in theater watching this because everybody knows this song. Everybody I think loves this song. It's a, it's, if you don't like Skinner, you like this song? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And just, I know Rob Zombie talked about this being a million dollar soundtrack and you know, a lot of that money goes right here. Um, the oh, yeah. 
these songs, but that's something that I love is the, the, the way that music perfectly goes with the scene. Like it's a make it or break it moment. And you mentioned it being beautiful, but we're talking about people being brutally murdered, but it is beautiful. Like it, this is the only way this movie could have ended. Yes. And that's why I call it the perfect ending for this film. You have, you have the perfect, I, I believe for this film, the perfect beginning with the chaos of the police invading the farm and all the gunfire that they survive at the beginning of the film and manage to get away. And it's a similar type of situation where it's the cops just opening fire on everybody. And then now here you get it again, but this time they don't have the protection of the house and whatever firefly lineage or however you want to place it at, at that disposal. They're just open and they know that they're going to die too. And they're just hoping to take some other people out with them. And that's why they just open fire. And this time, none of the cops die. Only they're, they're the only ones to actually take the barrage of bullets. And it kind of sucks because I really don't know. I mean, I know that Spalding was involved in this stuff, but was he as involved as Otis or Baby were in terms of the amount of killing that they've done? Who knows? But it's kind of implied that he is too. And right, it sucks yeah, we- that he's got to get this. No, you just love this actor too much. I do. <laughs> he was in the pictures, man. He was I there. Know. He sent people yeah. to their house. <laughs> that's that's Photoshop, man. It's Photoshop. You know, yeah. it's funny you say that. Um, in the scenes where we see the dead brother, George, uh-huh. all a Rob Zombie did was Photoshop George's mustache and eyes onto actual dead people's photographs. Like Those are real oh, photographs. Of people. That's pretty demented. But, uh, that is. He said Photoshop, and that just brought that up. Good Photoshop. Uh, so yeah, so that that's basically the end of the movie, and we get the the end scene, you know, and and credits roll. So uh, now the the question, and I remember the question, so you didn't have to remind me. The question that I posed at the beginning of it, and, and people listening to, I want you guys to kind of also, you know, I would like to know too, whose movie is this? Do you still like? I believe before we started this that I believe this was truly bill mosley's movie and this is a, that uh you know otis steals the show for the movie as a whole um do you believe that and do you still believe that or do you think that maybe it does belong to somebody else so originally i was with you um being that this was otis's movie but after subsequent rewatches, and maybe this is just watching it now being older um, I found myself fascinated by the Wydell character and the way that his persona changes. I feel like it's uh, Wydell's revenge movie. And I'm a little on your page with this as well, because that is a little of mine. I kind of felt that you were going in that direction. Like just in general, I if I have to choose from just the Fireflies, I still believe this is Otis's movie. Like this is Mosley's movie. I think that he steals most of it. He gets the better lines of dialogue, I think, even though we've got the clown scene uh, with the clown business is one of my favorite pieces that's in the movie. You get the, the I am the devil speech. You also get that really, you know, the next thing coming out of your mouth must be some Mark Twain motherfucking shit, you know, mm-hmm. or so they can write that on your tombstone. It's one of the best lines that I think Rob Zombie's written, uh, and I butchered it. So, <laughs> but saying that, if I look at the movie as a whole, it's Wydell's movie. I yeah. think that I didn't like that character when I first saw it. 
to be completely honest with you. I didn't like the way that it changed. I didn't like where it went. And I really was expecting something more. Now that I've had subsequent rewatches of this, and even the last time before I watched it, just when I watched it, I think I watched it before I went and saw Three from Hell because I wanted to have a place. And I, it really, and maybe, again, like you said, maybe it's my age that has to do with it from when I first saw this, when I was in my, you know, 20s, mid-20s when this came out, came out in 2005, compared to where I am now with things. I, I think that, you know, it's Wydell's film. It, it truly is because of what he does, how he changes how he gets spooked before he's even spooked, you know, and just where he goes. And, and, and yeah, maybe he is a little wispy and grumbly and mumbly in some of the ways that he speaks. Definitely a lot easier to understand it with cans on your head, you know, than it is to watch, sometimes watching it through the TV where, you know, levels aren't always the best. Like the, <laughs> the damn dialogue is so low and the action is so goddamn high. Right. Um, but really seeing the character change and how well he did the role and learning those things that, you know, in the scenes with mama firefly where she was told to do things and he had to just keep pace, not excuse me, not knowing what to do or how to react. And I felt like it made those scenes more real and it made the scene better in general. And the character really shined in those scenes. So, and he has some great lines too, but, and it's all supposedly for justice, but it's not really for justice. Like you said, it's for revenge. Yep. So I guess we have to go through this and we have to do our scoring because that's what I do in my episodes. Um, and so what would you rate the gore in this movie? I know we talked about a lot of scenes uh, being imp- kind of, just implied but i feel like the scenes that get gory we do get some pretty good gore uh, but i am gonna dial it down slightly and i'm gonna give it a four out of five yeah i'm right here with you it's not a five out of five there are some things that are uh shocking like when she gets hit by the truck you know it is shocking especially the first time you see it because you see her almost get hit by the car and then they're just like oh oh safe you're okay. She it, They slowed down in time, but then the truck doesn't have enough time to slow down and just takes her fucking out, you right. know? And that's pretty gory. The, you know, you see a lot of throats being slit, even if it's digital, it's still pretty gory. You don't see like body parts being torn off or anything like that. Nothing like extreme like that, but it's enough gore and there's enough blood that's spewing out of everywhere that it still can be a little rough to take. So I'd, I'd put it in the four out of five. I might even go down to a 3.5 because there isn't like dismemberment, you know, but again, it, we're not talking trauma here. We're talking, you know, <laughs> Rob Zombies. And, and I would say that there is definitely a much gorier movie that we are going to see than this movie. Yeah. This one here, I think the biggest effect that he focused on was not only implying it, but we got a lot of the aftermath kill. Yeah. And we got a lot of weird kind of, descriptions of things too you know there are a couple of things so uh the the crap factor what would you give the crap factor of this film i'm gonna rate this one pretty low um i didn't find too many things crappy about it whatsoever and i know the reason i'm doing this show with you is because i love rob zombie movies and we have a lot of fun talking about this so i'm almost biased to it but uh, 
I don't know. I can't really find many negative things to say about it, but because you brought something to my attention today, I have to at least give it a two out of five because Mm -hmm. I don't think the movie's that crappy, but damn it. Ever since you started talking about those um, photos of them, I mean, like, oh, if they already are on record, why have they not been obtained and arrested? And I'm like, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so I want to go low. I, I don't want to cheap out and say one, meaning I didn't think anything was crappy. So I'm going to stay as low as I can. That makes sense with a two. And I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. I'm in a two. And, and mine's not necessarily for that. Like, I can forgive something like that. It's kind of silly type of thing. Mine really has to do with some of the shaky cam stuff that gets done in this film. And definitely, as we get into another film that we're going to do, that was my biggest problem with that film um, in that it, it can get like that. And then some of the transitions were weird. Like I, I liked them, but they were just a little bit maybe in the beginning overused. And then they seem to just go away. Right. Like with the, when you go from uh, Banjo and O'Sullivan, when they're, they're going to be killed, it stops on a picture of them and then moves to the point that they're going to die. Or in the beginning there, there there's a lot of those type of transitions and, and I feel like he's trying to do something creative and keep it in that 70s motif. But I don't know if it's needed for that. Uh, or it, it doesn't need to, it, like, do it more later. You you totally just dropped it uh, as the movie went on. And and it's, you know, it could be an artistic choice, but that, that just kind of gets it for me. Otherwise, I think that the, the movie is still really well shot. I think it's really well acted. There isn't anybody that is absolutely terrible that i say would raise this up a point you know there's minor characters that are only in it for a little bit that you don't have to worry about it you don't see them again but your main cast is so good and and you know i know i said this last time with sherry moon zombie and that she annoyed me and she really doesn't i think she did such a good job in this movie that i don't even notice baby as being annoying i just she's just a character that I enjoy to watch in this movie. So yeah, I agree. That's why it gets a two out of five. The fun factor. What would you give the fun factor of the movie? This is an easy five out of five. I cannot begin to explain. I, I saw this four times in theater. It never gets old. I've watched it so many times on DVD, different times with commentary. I'm watching special features and it's so exciting to find somebody that hasn't seen this movie because it's such a fun experience as long as they appreciate horror, right. To share this with somebody and even getting to talk to you. Um, This is the first time I've ever got to podcast about devil's rejects. And I just, I I texted you the other day, I was watching it 15 minutes in and I'm like, I love this movie. Like this is just a fun movie. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm a little lower. I'm at a four out of five. Um, and it's just because of some of the little negatives that I put on the crap factor, but it's not to say that I don't love watching this movie. I'm the, the reason that we did these Rob zombies because I enjoyed these movies uh, and I wanted to talk about them. And there's only one person that I wanted to talk about them with. So that's why we agreed to do this, this thing. And especially I knew I could, I had to get you on the devil's rejects before somebody else fucking got you on and this and three from hell and, and the other stuff that we're going to do, <laughs> you know, because you're so into these films and maybe if it's if it doesn't reach the five out of five caliber for me and the fun factor it's still extremely fun about talking with them like if outside of not even talking about them it would never break a four out of five it would never go lower right there were just and, and it does get better with age and i learn new things and i interact and i uh you know put myself in the shoes of different characters from what I used to put myself into. 
and I have, I feel like, a better understanding. And I bet you if I watch it the next time, there's going to be something else that changes. Then I'm going to say, you know what? This is really baby's movie. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I doubt that I would say that. But nonetheless, it's just saying that I might, you know, have another opinion again after I watch it. I mean, for this alone, I basically watched it three times, like, in a right. row, right? And I watched it the other day. And again, I it's another movie where I can just put it on and I'll know exactly where I'm at, even if I'm not paying attention. Even if I was, like, doing dishes, like, I would still know exactly. And in my mind, I could see it, like, right away. You know, it's and it's weird to say that this would be a movie that you just put on in the background. Right. But I've seen it so much that I feel like I can do that and still enjoy it, you know? Just just even listening to it, I, I could listen back to this episode of the podcast, take everything out that you and I even said, and just listen to the clips, and I could be taken into the movie and just enjoy the movie. Yeah, I mean, are, are you telling me that you don't throw devil's rejects on whenever you have a holiday party? Uh, well, you know, maybe with a birthday. <laughs> so overall, what would you give the film? I know it probably doesn't make sense on my scale since some of the ratings I dropped a little, but I don't care. Um, this movie is easily five out of five for me. Uh, like you said, I could throw this on anytime. The movie from beginning to end, I enjoy it. I think it has one of the greatest soundtracks. I love the cinematography oh, choices. We didn't, that We didn't even talk about the soundtrack. <laughs> not much, not much. But um, I just, I don't... I know I always said Rob can do no wrong in my book, but if anything, I say this, this right here is his shining movie. Like, I feel like you don't have to be on the Rob zombie train to be able to fully appreciate this movie. Yeah. This is the movie that, you know, as everybody knows, kind of set him uh, out to do more stuff, gave him Halloween, allowed him to do Halloween too, you know, uh, that people were starting to see him as a real director and not just as a music guy that wanted to do some fun and, and just get out there and make a movie because, you know, that's just something I have the money to do it so I can do it. I'm just a music guy, but a guy that really loves horror, knows how to craft horror, knows how to write. And and it's not to say that every movie that he's done is either every other movie, I should say, is a bomb. And this is the only good movie because I don't believe that that's true at all. I think that he's he's had some misses, in my opinion, you know, but his masterpiece, unless he does something else, is always going to be this movie. You know, and like you said, the soundtrack to this movie is so amazing. It hits the right beats. Uh, every piece that is an actual, you know, royalty music uh, piece in this fits the scenes that it's sitting in. And even the way that he's going about and, and maybe he's even making fun of some of that stuff that's there. You know, it still works. And I could sit and listen to the soundtrack for this film. And, and even just the, the music music hits the right points, hits the right notes, and does exactly what it needs to do. And and that's because he himself is a musician. It's one of those things, kind of like what I really enjoy about Tarantino's movies, is that he always uses music really well. And one of the things I really love about Rob's movies is that he always does music really well. His soundtracks really fit the film. And so for that, I'd give this a 5 out of 5 fun towns. There you go. You don't give it 5 out of 5 Rhode Island Reds? No, dude, I'm gonna do road on legs. I'm not gonna be fucking no chickens. You're you think I gonna... fuck chickens? Well, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying you do, but that motherfucker over there. <laughs> Why point at my cat? <laughs> <laughs> she um, definitely don't fuck chickens. <laughs> you're telling no. me that uh, she don't cut the chicken's head off and go ah. No, no, she don't. Yeah, it's it's great. 
um, even if I don't rate the fun as high as it is, it's still a- an absolute gem. And this is one of the best horror movies that anybody is ever going to see. And that if you want to show somebody something that's a horror movie, but not, and, and they're not necessarily like, they're not wanting to be scared. This is it. Like you'll, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll fuck a chicken. You'll enjoy the devil's rejects. I want that shirt. <laughs> Neil, we have another shirt for you. Um, <laughs> so then that wonders that Rob Zombie Ween is going to continue. So Dave, why don't you tell him the next film that we're going to do before we listen to the trailer? It would only make sense that after you watch and listen to the podcast on the devil's rejects to prepare, you should go ahead and watch three from hell. The search for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with the police. Chances for survival are less than a million to one. There's no justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us. <laughs> now we can have a real day of the dead. <laughs> Any last words? Dang, I still want a party. I'm just a clown dancing for the sins of mankind. Adventure school. This is my death factory. You are the product. I love it. Hello, America. Did you miss me? That's right. We're looking at three from hell for the next movie. And uh, we're going to finish up the Firefly trilogy is the only way that we know how. Um, at the current moment we're recording, I think it's free on Shudder. Uh, otherwise, it's available for rent everywhere else. I think it's a Shudder exclusive. So I don't know if it's gone off of Shudder now that this is being released in October. Right. But as of August, when we're recording this, um, you know, it's possible that it it did leave. I don't know. So if you can find it, watch it because it's worth a watch at at least. Um, Again, I'm pretty sure that we both recommend everybody go out there and watch The Devil's Rejects, right? Oh, absolutely. And all of these movies here that we're going to be talking about, if you've never seen them, do yourself a favor. I guarantee they're at least, at the very least, worth a rental price. Yes, definitely. And it's, you know, $3.99. 249 wherever you can get it if you get lucky and maybe it's on sale for 99 cents buy it you know i'll buy it for 99 cents and i already own it yeah that's right and then you get a digital copy nice <laughs> and digital um but yeah nothing beats physical media uh so 
I, I don't think we have anything really that we're going to be plugging right now since we're both going to be continuing on uh, doing this lovely zombie ween as it goes. So um, I guess that's it for uh, this episode then. Maybe I just play a little bit of the outro music here. And uh, thank, thank you guys for listening. And don't forget to follow the SIP Network stuff. And we'll see you next time uh, for three from hell.